Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Now, uh, regular listeners will be able to tell that I am not Steve Norman, and I'm also not joined this week by Owen Hughes. I am James Diamond. I'm here in Glasgow for our second annual trip now to cover the Glasgow Film Festival, supported by our very brilliant sponsors, BrewDog Glasgow. Uh, I will be joined this week, however, it's not just me, don't worry, uh, by my good pals Dave McFarlane and Paul Fisher. Uh, together we'll review a load of films that we've seen this week, including 20 Feet from Stardom, Michelle Gondry's new film Mood Indigo, and the new film from John Michael McDonough, Calvary. I'll also be talking to our first proper celebrity guests, the award-winning sketch group and stars of BBC3 sitcom Bad Olds, Pappies. So sit back, as if you are sitting, and enjoy. Right, so this is James Diamond, as you know, you know this ridiculous voice. I'm back here at Glasgow, second year running, and what has now become our annual day out um, with my good friends, my compadres, uh, Dave McFarlane, who is the editor of our kind of sister site, Born Offside, in a, in a way, we're kind of twinned, like, like towns are twins. I think we're more cousins. Yeah, maybe like. distant cousins, which means technically we could still get together. Yes! <laughs> um, American cousins. <laughs> and also Paul Fisher, editor of The Right Club. Hello again, Paul. Hello, hello, hello. Yes. Um, we're here again, as we always are now, in Brewdog, Glasgow, the, the finest hostelry in the entire city limits of Glasgow, I'd say. Um, what are you drinking at the moment, lads? I've got, I've got, a, I've got a fake lager, um, which Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Now, uh, regular listeners will be able to tell that I am not Steve Norman, and I'm also not joined this week by Owen Hughes. I am James Diamond. I'm here in Glasgow for our second annual trip now to cover the Glasgow Film Festival, supported by our very brilliant sponsors, BrewDog Glasgow. Uh, I will be joined this week, however, it's not just me, don't worry, uh, by my good pals Dave McFarlane and Paul Fisher, uh, together we'll review a load of films that we've seen this week, including 20 Feet from Stardom, Michelle Gondry's new film Mood Indigo, and the new film from John Michael McDonough, 
Calvary. I'll also be talking to our first proper celebrity guests, the award-winning sketch group and stars of BBC3 sitcom Bad Olds, Pappies. So sit back, as if you are sitting, and enjoy. Right, so this is James Diamond, as you know. You know this ridiculous voice. I'm back here at Glasgow, second year running, and what has now become our annual day out um, with my good friends, my compadres, uh, Dave McFarlane, who is the editor of our kind of sister site, Born Off Side. In a, in a way, we're kind of twinned, like, like towns are twinned. I think we're more cousins. Yeah, maybe right? distant cousins, which means technically we could still get together. Yes! <laughs> um, American cousins. <laughs> and also Paul Fisher, editor of The Right Club. Hello again, Paul. Hello, hello, hello. Yes. Um, we're here again, as we always are now, in Brewdog, Glasgow, the, the finest hostelry in the entire city limits of Glasgow, I'd say. Um, what are you drinking at the moment, lads? I've got, I've got, I've got a fake lager, um, which doesn't mean there's no alcohol in it. Definitely it's alcohol it's definitely alcoholic, yes. Uh, I mean, a lovely punk IPA. Punk IPA, the, uh, oh, possibly the king of beers. Uh, they have also treated us beautifully to a lovely meat and cheese feast that you're not going to be able to sample at home. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, we've eaten it. <laughs> and without wanting to be sellouts, um, you should buy Brewdog all the time. That's the plug over. Um, first, <laughs> let, let's let you know. What, let's go straight into review. Today we went to see. All of us went to see a film earlier. Uh, the Lunchbox, an Indian film from last year, which is making its UK debut later on this year. Uh, it's about um, an older man approaching retirement who receives meals in a lunchbox. Um, but there's a case of mistaken identity. It's kind of like you got mail or something like that, <laughs> but with lunchboxes in India. Um, gents, what were your initial thoughts? It was a movie that I think we all really enjoyed. Mm. Um, I, wasn't, I mean, I don't know what the reservations start with. Start with great. It's an Indian film. We're going to Bollywood and dancing and songs and fear us and I'm going to want to cry. Yeah. It just happened to be based in India. Really. Yeah. You know, that was irrelevant. And I, I learn a bit more about the lunchbox process. So I can tell an Indian how the lunches actually work. Well, I've got massive, it's all pen and paper and they don't get the lunches wrong, but they haven't been in this film. It'll kind of the point of the story. <laughs> Well, as we went on, yes. it's happened. Yes. I, and I'll be on. that was my, my kind of concern, because every Indian film I've tried to watch tends to end up in bizarre singing sections and things like that. I'm current, this was my entry for my Around the World Native Films, and I was pleased to actually get an Indian film, which, it, like you say, it was, it was quite a universal film in some cases. Uh, Paul, you are our resident expert on romantic comedies, obviously. Because yeah. um, you're a big ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> was, was, this, did this, was this an Indian love, actually? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, was, I think you've seen you've got me on kind of similar to that in the mm. sense where there's two people who you would think maybe they don't know each other but they're kind of trying to get together or they happen to, the instances fall into place. They're both um, very unhappy, I think, uh, for different reasons. Yeah. They're un- the unhappiness kind of comes across in, the, in terms of the guy in his job and the woman with her life. Um, but it, it falls into place quite nicely and I think the, the way in which it works is it's not where through phoning or texting or emails or even like any social media or like handwritten letters it's, it's pretty unique in a sense for this day and age as well and it's, it's, mm. that, was, that made it a, a good bit better for me I think yeah. as well the, the handwritten thing yeah and I think what I did like about it was it was actually despite being set in India with this whole lunchbox thing which is completely alien to me it was, it was quite a universal film in the sense that 
I've seen films like this throughout the decade. Brief Encounter, for example. Yeah, it was about this kind of forbidden love between two people who really shouldn't be communicating but are um, in the mood for love. A brilliant Hong Kong film from 2001, I think it is. Very, very similar. And, of course, as, as we've already mentioned, the, uh, the Tom Hanks and uh, uh, Meg Ryan classic, You've Got Mail. But... It was a universal story. What I liked as well is the, the office in it. Uh, the, the, the older guy worked in an office, and you could sit there and go, yeah, I've been there. Despite the fact that it's on the other side of the world, it's based in Mumbai. Um, although the subtitles kept referring to Bombay, which I found quite interesting. Cause I think the subtitles were a bit amazed, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was a lot of times, you obviously have a conversation in English, and it comes up with subtitles, yes, oh. No, <laughs> I heard the words. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't think the subtitles are the best. No, no. And it did that kind of thing that I, I've noticed in some Indian films um, where kind of just swaps between English and Hindi, you know, quite easy. And it's just the fact that so many people there speak English but also speak in their own language, which is quite interesting. And actually thinking of the subtitles, one of the, I'm sure it was an unintentioned thing. Um, I'm just having a look at my notes here. There was a line I wrote down where someone actually says, your lunchbox has an amazing aroma, which, was, um, which made me laugh. And I think that was unintentional. But actually thinking about that, the, the food was a key part of the film. Yeah. Uh, what were you, th- were you salivating while yeah. watching this? Very much. Uh, you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, and they're describing all these different kinds of food where the lunchboxes are coming in every day and it's different food that's coming in. It's, it's all Indian, it's curries, and you can see the chapatis there, the old homemade fresh stuff. And you're thinking, oh... I don't really want to be sitting in a cinema, I want to be kind of going to India and, uh, go to India and, and sample yeah. the food, which for a, a, a basic lunch, you think, oh, as Dave was saying after the film, he gets a ham salad for his lunch, and then you're sitting there, and these guys get really good yeah. curries and different things to go along with it, yeah. and you think, oh, that's brilliant. And that in itself is quite unusual, because in India, it tastes the mass produced the way the way they'll make the lunch, is just yeah. the cost as well, yeah. and it just makes you like, cook everything all at once, but obviously the main character was getting a different lunch pretty much every day, yeah. home cooked rather than a back a kitchen somewhere obviously you knows for how long it's well but there's a lot of effort for a mini meal obviously you could tell the difference straight away yeah, and yeah. obviously at some point pretty much early on in the movie went to where he thought he was getting lunch from said that was good today keep that up yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah Lunchbox out later on this year um, it, it's not although it's at times a touch derivative I'd say it's not your typical kind of romantic film there um, don't go in expecting necessarily everything to plan out exactly as you think it would but would you recommend it? Oh definitely no, I certainly would yeah. brilliant, brilliant film. okay so another film we're going to talk about now uh, myself and Dave have seen this this is uh, a documentary about Gore Vidal Gore Vidal the United States of Amnesia uh, a documentary cataloguing the last few years of his life but also featuring highlights from his illustrious career as a novelist, but I think most importantly of all, uh, as an intellectual uh, in political debate. Um, Dave, you said you, you, you've had an interest in Gore Vidal for a few years anyway, so yeah. what did you think about the film? You know, it was always a fantastic career, and massively passionate about his country and his politics, and obviously he'd other talents, he was a fantastic writer, he was a screenwriter as well, you know, so many talents, it was Wesley Fair, actually. <laughs> um, I, I do feel it was the documentary started really slowly, whether it was going through his childhood and his young life, and I don't think that necessarily brought into it, because, well, it's exactly a secret, yeah. but, you know, I'd actually text Paul about 25 minutes in, and my dad was like, this is shite, I know all this. <laughs> but after that, that's when it properly kicked into yeah. life for me, and there was a lot more bore, as you say, interface between him talking to the camera, and then, obviously, more his political views, yeah. his different interviews he had within the 60s, 70s, and even up to the present day, he likes to go on shoot and so on. And 
Exactly. I, I think watching it and watching some of the historic debates that he had with was it William Faulkner? I think that was the name. I forget. I thought Faulkner was his, definitely Faulkner. Yeah. Um, around the kind of sixties U.S. presidential debates and uh, and an intellectual Republican, mm. an intellectual liberal and Democrat, and just watching their debates was just leveled you in terms of. What, like you said, why don't we have anything like that? They don't have anything like that in America either, to be fair. Well, You've I mean, got Fox News and things like that, but you know, you look at our question time and the fact that they wheel out people like Melanie Phillips and Richard Littlejohn. For, Richard Littlejohn, for me, is the anti Gore and everything about him. I'm not editing that out. I'm done. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I think we can prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that one go to court. But, you know, the, there aren't really any intellectual... Because I think at times it feels like we live in an age where intellectualism is frowned upon, whereas back then people actually looked up to and respected these intellectuals regardless of their political points of view. I think that's Be- a change of society as yeah. well, more than anything else. I mean, everything is so quick. You know, oh. everybody get on Twitter, get on Facebook, let's tweet, let's talk shit. Yeah. But... By the way, you can follow us at at failed critics. <laughs> Born off side blog. Bob. Underscore Ray Club will just join you. Okay. <laughs> but, um, You're right though, yeah. It's just different in these 80s, especially in people tend to read the papers, um, the political papers that he wrote and all sorts of stuff he did. Yeah, um, I think it's a sign. General message people at Yeah, exactly. The last there was a little bit of a. It was quite interesting hearing his views on people that you assume that he would have been, you know, massively passionately for. But hearing his um, views on John F. Kennedy, for example, was really interesting. Saying that he was one of the worst presidents that the United States of America ever had. Bernie which is brought in pretty much as part of the Kennedy family as well. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's really interesting. You think. Yeah, we've also bought into that myth of John F. K. as this uh, kind of liberal superior that actually, and Gore Vidal says no, I liked him, he did a terrible job, and Christopher Hitchens as well, who is a great writer, but seeing that they kind of grew closer together, but actually started growing apart as well, and you know, clash of egos and things like that. As as Hitchens' mindset and political views, they necessarily changed, but you know, kind of... Formed any something else? Good, that was didn't you know? Yeah. He was steadfast end. He was a very yeah, he, yeah, integrity. Yeah. yeah, no, no, that's so. What I would say is, if if you are not of a, imagine if you are not of a kind of centre left or left wing persuasion, watch that film. Would you enjoy it? I'd like to see somebody watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think you're right. It is definitely one of those films that I think is. My only criticism would be is that sometimes it's preaching to the converted in the sense that mm-hmm. people with left-wing views are going to watch that and go, wasn't Gore Vidal brilliant, but is anyone else going to watch it? Probably if anybody else it was, they're like, oh, it's Gore Vidal, he's a pick. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, as, if anybody's got any sort of political reunions, it's something they should watch anyway just to learn more yeah. about the man. And yeah. But it may not agree with his political views, but he was just so talented, such yeah. a, a lovely man. Yeah. He had his flaws at everybody else, but he mm. never had it. Mm. He just refused to hide it, and of his long-term partner died ten years before he did. Yeah, and he seemed to turn out a bit of a close after that. And mm. the, the bit of the documentary actually got quite emotional. Mm. It was when he was leaving the in Italy when mm. he stayed for years. Yeah, because he obviously his health was failing. He, he knew that, so he was, he was going home to die. Yeah, he knew that. Everybody knew that. And just watching that, I was thinking, mm. by and 
they know who he was. It was quite emotional to watch him waving goodbye. Yeah. He knew he was coming back, and yeah. you knew he was coming back either. Yeah. yeah. So if you knew about it, so it's quite. A, yeah, you're right. It's quite a personal documentary as well. It's not just about a man's politics; it's about a man as well. And I think that's that's really important. Um, the other film that we kind of had pre-access to uh, as a screener. Uh, and Dave, you're the only one who's actually watched it all the way through, and uh, I applaud you in a sense. Is um, an Italian film uh, named Salvo. Um, Dave, do you want to sum up? Because I've got I've, look, this is where I'm going to make a confession here, uh, and my loyal listeners, uh, my devoted fans out there. Well, four. Uh, of them. Yeah, four. Right. I've got four fans now. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah, right, brilliant. <laughs> um, you will be disappointed that I've tried to watch this twice and got to the halfway point and it's just got to the stage where I've got, I've got to turn this off because I'm going to get angry because I'm, I'm so frustrated. What am I doing watching this film? Um, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about Salvo? I'm not going to lie, if it was the fact that we watched it for your, the podcast, I would have bothered. I, I didn't. Off as well, like, this is <laughs> I run the damn thing and I didn't I bother. <laughs> I'm a professional, damn it. Ah, okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, the first ten minutes of the film, you think you're in for a real action adventure. I think, mm. This is going to be great, you know. The mm. uh, main character, Salvo, is just essentially, uh, my note said, shooting cunts. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of his job description. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially he's, he's, he's a mafia bodyguard and hitman. Yeah, he seems to be fairly high up in the local mafia. Yeah. Um, after that, he seems to come in a creepy game of hide and seek with a blind girl, so he wins. That's why I kept turning off. Cause, um, 15 minutes of a man creeping around a house and a blind girl walking around singing. and uh, I, 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 That was the point I lost my mind. I genuinely did. I don't think I'm much better to the film. I've, I've never walked out of a film in the cinema, but I do think I might have walked out of this one if I'd been at the cinema. I get what they were trying to do, but 15 minutes, yeah. really. There yeah. was no need for it. Yeah. Especially if she was blind, damn it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> if you were so inclined. Yes. Um, but, um, eventually it turns into a weird story. Yeah. Where he kills the, the woman we'll call it Rita. He kills her brother because he don't the hit on her, which is why he was killing cunts. Yeah. Um, now, it doesn't really transpire why or how, but it seems to develop some sort of feelings towards Rita. And after he kidnaps her, of course, looks after her, makes sure she's fed and watered, and you seem to eventually just run away. And the movie ends where he's essentially told the mafia he's not going to kill her. Um, there's a shirt with him in the mafia, but you don't see it. Yeah. And he just Peter burns out. She seems to imagine we'll be getting a sight of it, three sounds. <laughs> so she's running in the dark, but knows where she's gone. It's like, Come on, guys, she's blind. <laughs> yeah. But she finds Salvo, and they seem to go into the neighbouring town that all of a sudden exists, you know, didn't before. Yeah. Uh, they steal a car, and then it cuts to them in a house where Salvo falls asleep. And that seems to be the end of the movie. Right, okay. Um, yeah, apologies. Uh, yeah, we, we might have just told you the whole movie there, but I, I don't. I'm, Do you know I'm, what? Dave doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care. It's really for your own sake. Don't yeah. watch it. Because it does need to develop any characters with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. What I did notice in the half an hour I watched twice. Uh, if I watch that opening half an hour again, I've basically watched enough of the film. You've got um, the general gesture. Yeah, but it, it's very, very low on dialogue as well. It's all about mood and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get any better. I think there's about a hundred <laughs> words in the movie full stop. And I, I liked the sort of camera effects in the first half of the film where it seemed to be over Salvo's shoulder. I mm. thought that was not necessarily a first person view, but it was something different. There was a real realism to it, wasn't mm. there? Because there was no music as well. And it was yeah. very much um, the sound effects of their own sound effects in shot and things like yeah, that. Just that and the good. music was when people were listening to music and yeah. things like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems to have not held out for the film. No, I mean... That's the 
back in 15 minutes and from this bit now where all the sounds get louder and also we know Beatles playing so your senses seem like developing. Yeah. But I thought that was quite a good, you know, I was like, okay, I know what they're doing, that's great. And then it just got crap. Don't watch it. Okay, so that salvo. Don't is. watch it. Um, we'll be back after this break with some more reviews of films we've seen at the festival. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I'm now going to talk to Paul, uh, who's seen some films with, not only with me, but some films by himself. But first, let's talk about Mood Indigo, the new Michel Gondry film, starring Audrey Tateau, Roman uh, Duris, and Omar Sy from Intouchables. It tells the story of a confirmed bachelor who marries uh, a wonderful, charming woman, uh, but she's got a flower growing in her lung, which will slowly kill her. Uh, Paul, your your immediate thoughts on Mood Indigo? Visually very good. Yeah. I, being a Gondry yeah. film, you'd expect Aye. that, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, yeah he, this is the guy who did Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, uh, Science of Sleep, even The Green Hornet, which, not great, but looked great. Um, yeah. So yeah, loads of visual trickery and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apart from that, um, I don't really know what, to, what do you say about it. <laughs> It's, it's 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 interesting. Um, story. That's always a word that you use when when you're trying not to slag off. Oh, it was interesting. Yeah. 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 Right. As an experience, yeah. it's probably it's not it's probably the worst film I've seen this year. Um, um, and it's 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 not to say that it's that bad, but I've seen really good films this year. That's yeah. The, that's yeah. The the, this year has started really well. Um, yeah. No, actually, it's the second worst walking with dinosaurs was worse than that. Okay. Um, but no, it was, it, it, it was interesting, it was visually good. Um, Audrey Tattoo, I thought, was was, was good, the, yeah. the acting and the, the performances, but the way it just kind of jumped from, it started really slowly, I thought, and then it kind of, the, the storyline built up, and then it just jumped, and jumped, and jumped, and then it was finished. It was like, kind of, there's another development Although, in between. Yeah, really, what I will know. say is, I think we watched the Harvey Weinstein cut, which has been cut half an hour from the original cuts and that might explain A, why it kind of just finished all of a sudden but mm. I will say I don't usually agree with Weinstein's savaging of his own films but I don't think I could have watched another half an hour no, I think the, the, the 90 minutes that we watched was enough yeah, yeah. It, there, there was there was some really nice mo- you know, like kind of little um, surreal moments uh, one, of the thing, one of the main characters inventions is a piano octel which is a piano that as you play it it mixes a cocktail for you, and if you play minor chords, it comes up with different drinks and stuff like that. And that's a really nice touch. And there were a few really nice kind of visual things about them. Uh, there was a, an actual race to the altar, so yeah, they decide yeah. to get married, and then they have to jump into toy pedal cars, and whoever gets to church first actually gets them. Because the vicar goes, "No, I, I, there's got to be a race. I don't want to marry." Yeah. It, and it's weird, <laughs> but you kind of go along with it because it is a bit charming. There's a guy dressed as a mouse, which is just. I, I, I just never got that throughout the entire film. See, I got that more than I got the these, the guys, the main character, Colin, his friend, had a weird obsession with a guy who did lectures and was a writer. I, 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 I quite like that. Crap, I don't know brought absolutely nothing to the film. I don't understand why it was there. It was just like, uh, this guy, uh, he likes this guy. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Th- yeah. You're telling the director's an acid, can't you? 
<laughs> it was actually, and towards the end, because uh, there's this kind of monochrome change where all of a sudden it goes quite. All of a sudden you go, oh God, it's gone black and white. Oh, yeah. A second, um, you know, and that's to represent certain bad things happening and things like that. But actually, the moment I did that, I thought this really looks like um, a Salvador Dali Louis Brunel film. It really looks like um, Chen Andalou or something. Yeah, you know, a proper surrealist film from the yeah. 1930s, uh, and. Which is a shame because there's actually some nice chemistry between uh, Durez and Toto as the, the kind of lead characters. Omar Sy is brilliant as yeah. this guy's mentor and lawyer who's a cook, just like part time. <laughs> he he's brilliant. Anyone who's seen Intouchables will think, yeah, I want to see him in more stuff. And it's brilliant that he's in this. There's some lovely vision, but my problem with the, my biggest problem with the film was every time there was a moment of any kind of drama. Any kind of romance, you're waiting for something weird to happen on the screen. So you're going, all right, this is a nice touching moment. Yeah, but something's gonna, something weird's going to happen there. That book's going to turn into a flower. Or they're going to turn upside down and end up in jelly or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I, I just kept going, yeah, but what weird is going to happen there? And I, that's what really distracted me from the film. You know, it was like it was like a, a weird dystopian age that they were living in, but it wasn't really back in time or it wasn't really in the future. It was just like... Oh, they're living just now, but it's completely changed. The world's changed. The money's different, and this guy lives inside a train. It's like, yeah, <laughs> just it's a weird vision of yes. something that maybe could have worked if it more thought went into. Or I don't Which, know. and I'll kind of come on and briefly talk about the double shortly. But that did something very, very similar, but I think far more effectively. Um, after Mood Indigo, we then went to watch uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, the Oscar-nominated documentary uh, focusing on the backing singers of the great kind of pop and rock tracks over the age. Again, Paul, what did you think of that? Yeah, this, this was better. It was like, I was expecting a lot from it. Obviously, Oscar-nominated documentaries, you're going to expect a lot of stuff to come out of this. And it was, it was good in a sense where they got so many big names to come on board. They Bruce Springsteen and it's thing talking through it, explaining what backing singers do and how how big they are. In, in I, I think that's a really interesting point. Is you kind of you, you we do take them for granted. Yeah, you don't recognise them. And you go, well, they're backing singers. Yeah. And then I think during this documentary, they they use some very specific examples of. Uh, and I think one of the one of the backing singers, I think it's Mary Clayton, says at one point that. Um, all those bits that you sing along to yeah. on these songs, they're the backing singers bits that you sing along to. They're the ones that bring these songs to life. Uh, and it is a really nice documentary, and it does shine a spotlight on these yeah. people that haven't necessarily had a huge yeah, amount of fame. The, the, the thing that kind of got me was like, obviously going through the ages with, with Mick Jagger was, was on it as well, like talking through the Rolling Stones and, and saying how he just jumped to they were in... It, it, I think it was earlier in New York they were in it was for Gimme Shelter wasn't yeah. it yeah talking about how they feel, how they recorded Gimme Shelter it was, yeah. just, it was great things like that things like that which just wouldn't happen nowadays and, yeah. um, these people who are backing singers who maybe they've tried and they've failed or they've tried and they've been successful with being solo artists but I think the, the, only, the only kind of criticism that I got was um, when it was talking about I can't remember her name the the Michael Jackson's backup singer. Kept, oh, kept the, um, uh, Hill um, began with J- Judith Hill. Judith Hill. He kept alluding to her. He kept seeing her on screen, but it never, he never realised who she was, or he never explained why she was there. And it's nice to be in. She be, no, she wasn't mentioned. That she was, you could see her on screen until there was a section where the, yeah, she, she was in, in the credits. It was introducing Judith Hill because yeah. uh, the credits were kind of like talking and, about. And, and I thought, right, who is that? I've heard the Spice Girls, so I've heard the Hearts. Yeah, and, I, and this, this got me up to oh, this is going to be really. This is going to be the, the big section of the, yeah. the documentary where it's going to focus on her for a good amount of time. But it kind of wasn't wasn't 
massively good. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a letdown, to be yeah. honest, when she, when she came on screen, it was like, right, this is the new breed, but didn't really go on yeah. to explain what the new breed does. Uh, yeah, no, that's right. I think it got a little bit unfocused in places, and it would jump between one or two different... Uh, and there were some really interesting characters. Yeah, that yeah. Darlene Love, who's yeah. the one that I kind of knew of, because I, I know of Phil Spector's kind of view. But hearing how um, Phil Spector had completely shafted her many times over... In the 60s, yeah, that's the first time I've properly heard some of those stories. Um, really interesting one, though, for me was Lisa Fisher, who has won a Grammy uh, as a solo artist, but decided, she, she's one of the few people that decided she didn't want to be a solo artist. So you're watching it, and most of these people, even though they're talking about the art of backing singing, how amazing backing singing is and harmonies, you can still see in most of their eyes they want to be solo singers. But Lisa Fisher's the one who says... I'm happy. What I do is backing singing. And it's really nice hearing her contemporaries talk about her as being a musical genius. You know, Sting saying that he couldn't produce the sound he does without her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been on the Rolling every Rolling Stones tour since 1988 as their, fem- their main female vocalist on the tour. Mm-hmm. But she's happy there. Yes. And it's really interesting seeing this woman going, you know, I had a chance and it kind of came and went and I don't regret it. Uh, but the rest of them are like... There's, uh, you know, obviously Darlene Love still performs, but Mary Clayton's one of the ones. It's quite sad, where she's kind of going, that could still be me there, and I, I kind of don't know why, why I'm not doing that. Uh, Some people but, are happy with a wallflower. Exactly, exactly. But uh, at times it feels a little bit polished and a bit, little bit like a VH1 behind the music or something like that. And I do think, I do think the Oscar nominations a little bit because they've got Bruce Springsteen and Sting and Mick Jagger. And, you know, it's about American underdogs and things like that. I think that's where the... <clears throat> it's not a bad documentary. It's no, a good no. documentary. Yeah. It's an enjoyable documentary. It doesn't do anything special. It doesn't change the world or anything like that. But it's a nice documentary. And if you've got any interest at all in popular music for the last 40 years, they've got some really good behind-the-scenes footage. There's a yeah. great little section where um, David Bowie, in his massively coked-up phase as well, 1974, is kind of just talking through people like Luther Vandross, who was a backing singer at the time, just talking them through some harmonies for a show and then playing some uh, an American version of uh, <coughs> Young Americans. And so there's lots of... Re- and, the, and the story about Gimme Shelter is fantastic, about that rape-murder, it's just a step away. Uh, it's just a shot away, sorry. And the fact that Mary Clayton, who did that came into the studio in her pyjamas and her hair in rollers and was seven months pregnant. And, and what I liked, actually, about an American documentary is the Brits were painted in a good light. It was saying what was happening in America was they wanted these nice, ordered backing singers. But the Brits came in and went, no, we want your black gospel singers to give it everything. And, uh, you know, and they're, they're really, really complimentary of people like Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, David Bowie... Um, other big British acts at the time saying that they gave um, backing singers a whole new level to go to. So it's a really, really enjoyable documentary. Very, very heartwarming. Well. Um, you want? To, did you have something to add on that one? Paul? No, no. no I, would, but, I, would I want you to definitely recommend. I would it. definitely recommend the, as well. the music, really even for the music. Just listen yeah. to the music and yeah. and realizing. Oh, that, that's a backing singer singing that bit of the, the song rather than, oh, that's the, the actual singer. So, and that's got it, all it's this just recognition. raising that awareness. Yep. Going, actually, the, yeah, those bits I sing in all these popular songs, actually some of them are just backing singers. Uh, and I say just backing singers, I feel bad for saying that. But no, I really recommend that. Um, you went to see Run and Jump yesterday. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, um, Run and Jump, um, an Irish-based production. Um, I think it's out in a... The, um, summer this year, or the start of the summer. Um, Steph Green directed Maxine Peake, 
um, Edward McLean, Will Forte, who's Nebraska Oscar nominated film, basically tells the story of um, the Casey family where the husband played by um, Edward McLean, who's suffered a stroke, he's been in the hospital for a number of weeks and, and they're trying to reintroduce him to family life where there's two young siblings, a, a girl and a boy where um, the family life are trying to adjust and then his parents are, are realising that their son's changed and then basically the, the main character you've got Maxine Peake who is, is um, Benicia, um, a very Irish name, mm. where she's the um, she's the, the woman who's trying to keep this house in order by trying to hold down the fort basically, uh, keep everything ticking over while her husband who was like a carpenter join up and a guy isn't he making anything, he's just making these kind of wooden balls, um, basically out of wood. Um, and they get a in Will Forty. He, he's the he's the doctor. Well, basically, it's an American doctor comes over. Um, who really specialist guy who studies psychology. Basically, brain, brain doctor kind of guy who studies the family as a whole and looks at the kind of situations where they um, would just normally go about their, their business and, and everything's just kind of like oh, what's the what's the situation normally would be here and, and it kind of gets to the situation where. He's going to integrate himself into the family, but the, the father, father figure, the husband's being left behind, and it seems to be as if all where he's going to take him over here. And there's, it's a really interesting look at kind of mental health and, and how folk kind of deal with that kind of side of things. Like, you don't often hear about somebody so young, or there's a guy who he's he's having a stroke and having to go back to, to, to try and actually make a living for himself and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's really well acted, and I think. Um, Edward McLean, he does absolutely brilliant in being someone who's suffered a stroke and mm. obviously it's, it's hard, to, hard to imagine that mm. um, and Maxine Peake is absolutely brilliant as always in shows with us, she's an absolute cracking actress um, it's a really good performance and the chemistry between them, the kids as well and it, um, the, the, the young boys in his teens, he goes through a, kind of a stage where him and his dad don't get along and it's because of the illness and stuff like that and, um, he feels a lot of pressure on the family and he feels that obviously he's the man, the man of the house now but um, the way it kind of deals with all that kind of stuff it doesn't do it in a kind of patronising way like that. it does it in a, in a way where you can understand what's happening um, and if you were in that situation you would feel exactly the same you know um, really kind of it was really powerful as well but I think I've seen a few reviews where people saying that it doesn't do this it doesn't do that I think it does a lot of things it said it doesn't um, have issues with you know, myself personally but, and family with mental health and stuff like that and I, I think it, I know exactly what, what the people have to deal with and mm. it does it very well to get, get that on screen it's, it's, mm. not, it's not the easiest thing to do so no, I definitely recommend it. Brilliant, no I've, I've heard a lot of people at the kind of around the festival talking about that as one of their highlights so far so that's really good. Uh, I'm going to finish off this section just very very quickly talking about The Double which is uh, Richard Iwadi's uh, second feature. I've finally seen Submarine now. It took me ages to see <laughs> Submarine. Uh, but I brought it up to Glasgow with me, watched Submarine. But uh, The Double, which is his second feature, and stars Jesse Eisenberg, is um, based on a uh, Theodore Dostoevsky novel from the... novella from uh, the mid-1850s, I think it was. And... Um, it basically features Jesse Eisenberg as Simon James, who is a, an office worker who is lonely and isolated, fancies one of his colleagues, played by Mia Vosikovska, and all of a sudden finds out that a doppelganger has turned up and started working in a company called James Simon. Um, <laughs> exactly the same face, uh, and also played, obviously, by Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, this person is really 
you know, confident and very good with ladies. And so it's this battle that he's got to, A, convince people that this guy's a bit of a pretender, uh, but also he's trying to win over Mia Vosikovska. What was that? An absolutely incredibly, incredible-looking film. Um, I like it sometimes when I go to the cinema and I see a film and I go, do you know what, that feels like I've watched a director putting together a film. Because like, you go and watch a film and it can wash over you. Uh, and some some good films that I've enjoyed have been like someone's just made a comedy and put it up there. But this felt like someone going uh, actually taking direction seriously, production design seriously. It reminded me of Terry Gilliam's Brazil, uh, of Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. You know, really, really, it, it's it's Does set it in this. Been put in it? Yeah, definitely, and it's kind of set in this universe where the Russians won the Cold War, but in the 60s. And now we're in the 80s, so we're 20 years after the... And so people have got American accents, uh, and they work in an office, and they talk in English, but it feels massively Eastern European. Uh, there's a load... Uh, there's a load of bureaucracy, and like weird, like photocopying machines look like they were designed by steampunk design. It's <laughs> steampunk bureaucracy, and it's this, um, this this wonderful kind of dark, troubled uh, world, and it's got um, some brilliant performances. Wallace Shawn, um, who most people know from The Princess Bride, as the guy who says "inconceivable," the guy who. Kind of is Andre the Giant's boss in uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, Don't try ambition again, or? Uh, inconceivable. No, no I, I, <laughs> I shouldn't have tried again. Um, but yeah, Wallace Shawn, who is just a wonderful performer whenever you see him. Um, and uh, even people like Chris Morris, for example. And I just suddenly, I saw Chris Morris come up on screen. Like, oh my God, Chris Morris is back. God for that. Um, Excuse me like that. Yeah. Oh, oh Chris Morris. And you know what? It's just he, he only turns up for two minutes, but he's utterly brilliant in the section that he's in. Um it's a very dark film and it gets a bit confusing as well towards the end. And a bit of a head scratcher, but you kind of forgive that because the production design is fantastic. And the sound design as well, I've not seen anyone use sound like this since possibly Barbarian Sound Studio. It's um uh you know the sound of trains as people are pour, uh, pouring water out of a tap and stuff like that. It's very funny in places. I'd really, really recommend it. And the full review, where I kind of conduct, I, I explain myself a lot better than this, is available at feldcritics.com, so take a look at that. But the double, that's out in April, and I'd definitely say get a look at that. I'm not going to get no, I'm not going to get sacked. Okay, yeah, uh, this is us from Fell Critics. A few drinks, uh, and quite a few hours later, we're on George Square, uh, featured in the Hollywood blockbuster World War Z, uh, but currently being used by a couple over there to, uh, I believe I believe the phrase is neck. Winching. Winching. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple over there winching. A man over there singing sectarian songs, I think. I don't know, but uh, anyway, we're Glasgow yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, we couldn't find a bar. So, this very, very quickly, a uh, couple of late reviews. First one, Zero Charisma, which only me and Paul were able to see because uh, it was sold out. Pricks. Yeah, Dave couldn't go and see it. Dave went and got a burger and sat in the pub <laughs> for a bit. Um, where's so, it? Where's it? half mile <laughs> So, Zero Charisma, um, starring, I'll be honest people I've not heard of, directed by people I've not heard of. It's got to that stage of the night now. But uh, uh, an American indie film about uh, a Dungeons & Dragons-style games master who finds his world shaken up 
by uh, a trendy geek who is an interloper into their group. Paul, what did you think? Um, it's, a, it's a geeks geeks. It's a geek film. Um, I would <laughs> never you say geeks, that. You geek, say that with a sneer on your face, no, Paul. I would never consider myself as, as one of these guys who. Um, What's he got to be good? Would play games like that. I've never owned. Paul's a never owned a games uh, console. I've never owned a games console. So going into it, I was I was I was fresh, but I could feel we were sitting down the front and I really really cool screen like the, the small screen it was, it was great um, but I could feel myself laughing at the characters rather than laughing with, with them like the rest of the cinema but there was a good few laughs in the film um, the storyline was pretty good the acting was, was was pretty bang on for you would imagine these these people to be I don't know any of them mm. if there's any out there give a shout I'll quite happily come along <laughs> and play Dungeons and Dragons for hours of my life these guys would play that is it. something you will regret uh, they're playing like this game for three years and this guy comes along and, and spoils the fun basically but um, no, it, was, it was a good story um, yeah. and, and the kind of the sub, subtext as well like the the, the fact that he stayed with his gran and not his mum and the, this guy who's obviously kind of coming towards his 30s or maybe older than that who still stays at home and, and doesn't know anything else apart from the game he's no social intercourse or anything like that and it's a bit strange, doesn't drink and then it all comes to a head and it, I thought it was, it was pretty well put together I Yeah, I, I think it reminded me a lot of Clerks actually um, it had that really homemade, nice, geeky feel uh, there was conversations about Star Wars and stuff like that and I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it, very very funny film uh, it's opening very very selectively across uh, the country, I believe Prince Charles Cinema in London has it in the next week or so. Uh, but no, I'd recommend it. And Paul, you, yeah, even though it. you're not a geek, you, you you thought it was pretty decent. No, it was, it was a funny film. You yeah. know, if, if, even if you like comedy, I would say go along and see it. It was like it was kind of reminded me of role models, like kind of mm. style of that kind of thing where only a select amount of people enjoy it, but everybody can go along and have a laugh. Excellent. Uh, and then the surprise film wasn't the Raid Two. Um, it wasn't Snowpiercer it, but it was what kind of a lot of people thought it would be including myself and that is Calvary the new film from John Michael McDonnell uh, starring Brendan Gleeson uh, starring Chris O'Dowd and uh, Aidan Gill ok Dave what did you think of Calvary the first half it was it was a strange one for me I mean mm. it's certainly the first five minutes we're giving too much away he's a the main character says so you're going to die in a week get your yeah. act together and it's just the priest gone through his week and mm. I expected a bit more so I well I told you've got a week to live alright there's a bit of I don't believe him this is some mm. arsehole but you'd imagine he was going to get about you know, doing something interesting I'll, I'll go to the pub this night and then oh, I better go and see that guy in the prison this way and just go about his daily business and I was expecting something a bit more and mm. um, you certainly well, well yeah and this is where I offer up a confession um, and uh, live up to the failed critics moniker for in this style for the first time ever. I, I fell asleep. I missed the pivotal <laughs> five minutes at the end of the film. I, I woke up for the aftermath um, of what happens at the end of the film and the credits. Uh, however, somehow I managed to miss the most vital five minutes of the film in terms of what happened. Um, what I would say, uh, I was enjoying it to an extent. But a bit like yourself that day, it, I kind of, it was a bit slow. Yeah. Um, it was a bit dreary as well. And <sighs> it's based in Ireland, so I suppose to the extent you're going yeah. to expect that, but I was just expecting more. Yeah. Right, Brendan Gleeson was very good. Oh, definitely. Um, 
Uh, and there were some nice lines. Uh, but I'll be honest, all I will say in my defence is if it had been the Raid 2, I, I wouldn't have fallen asleep for that last five minutes. You probably uh, would. No, 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 I wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, no. But, Paul, what did you think? Well, I'm kind of different. I, I expected a lot. And I, I think it kind of gave what it's supposed to do. Like, if it's a, a priest is given a week to live, and it's not given a away saying that. A priest is given a week to live, what do you expect a priest to do? You don't expect a priest to go to the strippers and go and take coke and do all these kind of things. You expect, which is why I'd never be a priest. Yeah. Yeah. But you expect... That's the, why you're the, falling the, asleep tonight. The, the priest has done <laughs> what is expected of him, and Brendan Gleeson played the part perfectly to do that. That's exactly what he was supposed to do, and he's living up to his name as a priest in the priesthood and going doing righting his wrongs doing his thing and then it, I, I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with it at all I just I thought it was it was gripping it was funny um, Chris O'Dowd was good um, a lot of the characters the young boy I can't remember his name was, was really funny the in the film the was really good uh, and, and the, the way the way in which these these guys kind of they kind of came together and then kind of drifted apart Brandon Gleeson did his thing I, don't, I can't remember one scene where he wasn't and I, 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 to, for a man to play a part which is it's kind of a contentious issue with kind of priesthood and, and all other things that go along with that it, it's, it's a hard part to play and I think he's done it well OK so yeah just to repeat I, I fell asleep and missed the end <laughs> and I am the least professional of the three of us here I'm, I'm mortified uh, and I will try and make it up to all of our loyal listeners the rest of this week and try doubly hard just to stay awake for some films um, so that's it thank you very much gentlemen it's been a lovely day thank you very much Dave thank you very much Dave and thank you very much Paul thank you very much and we'll see you soon cheers right yeah so this is uh, James Diamond at Glasgow Film Festival I am joined by the award winning and I would say kind of Tarantino-esque auteurs of comedy lovely, lovely. Pappies, um, and in homage to them, and just to show you how difficult it's not as easy to write comedy as it looks on television, I've come up with some laboured puns to introduce our guests. Um, and I would therefore, in a cinematic way, like to introduce Tom Paranormal Activity. Lovely, I'll take that. Ben Raiders of the Lost Clark. Yes. And Matthew Cross B movie. Best I've got. Where do I get B-movie? Or, or Matthew Crosby and John Malkovich. I'll take that. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> who are... <laughs> They're our guests today. Um, what are you guys doing in Glasgow, then? Well, we're not at the film festival. No. So you, <laughs> you are, and we're not, which seems a bit unfair, really. So really, we should be interviewing you. Okay, hi. <laughs> what's, the film, what's the film festival like? Um, no, we're, we're up here at the moment filming a second series of our BBC3 sitcom, which is called Bad Alts. Um, and we're having a, a tremendous time. We're quite we're sort of right in the middle of episode five at the yeah. moment, so uh, it's quite uh, it's quite a sort of stressful time. Which you want it to be brilliant, uh, but, um, but we're not fun. talking. We're not yet. <laughs> You've caught us at the worst time. We're all falling out. <laughs> What the listeners can't hear is that this is three separate interviews that you've <laughs> meticulously edited together to make it appear bars. like we're in the same room. They, they know I can't edit, though, no, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to fool yeah. anyone. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what we're up in Glasgow, and we film it at the um, Glasgow Pacific Key studio, um, which is a really exciting, it's like, like a proper TV, it feels like proper television. You know, like the seventies. So, do you think anyone who watches our show will think that suits your show? Like the seventies. So, is there any change? Obviously, first season uh, of Bad Arts, you've got a, yeah. a second season. Any changes? Uh, anything you want to tell us about that's different 
Yeah, actually, there are a few. Um, we've got a different director. Um, uh, our, our, our previous director was 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 unavailable, and, and it's actually worked out so wonderfully because we, we have a brilliant guy called Gordon Anderson who people will know from uh, The Inbetweeners and Fresh Meat and Shameless, uh, and uh, he's been really great. He's been, you know, it's just been a, it's been a real uh, breath of fresh air. He's been wonderful. Um, We've got a new female member of the cast, uh, Catherine Ryan, the stand-ups joined us, and she's just fantastic. Um, and so the, the, there, are, there are changes, but it is still very much the same kind of uh, We've got new zest for life as well. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> got, we do, I think we do. We've got a brand new bag. We've got a brand new, got a brand new bag. Um, and just we're doing small things like... Uh, like as fans of the wire we really like the idea of changing the theme tune so we've got like the same theme tune but different so we've got a you know a band who are based in edinburgh who have redone the theme tune for us i think we should say that if someone hasn't seen the show before and thought oh it's inspired by the wire <laughs> i'll watch it I, I, that is the beginning and end of our similarities so this series isn't set on a dockyard or anything like that no, no but i am a drunk <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... You're not on screen, that's the only thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're living the life yeah. of a drunk. Um, now, this is, uh, we're up here for Glasgow Film Festival, so it would be right, very rude of me. Yeah, yeah. 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 Get us a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Go on about it. I bet you've seen the Grand Budapest Hotel. We can yeah. How, I just want to ask you, what, obviously, I think certainly would say you, you are um, someone who has, who is influenced by pop culture. Um, yes. Are there any kind of cinematic influences that you've got? Anything that you would say, I watched that, that made me want to do comedy? Um, yeah, the very much. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we watched, we watched Naked Gun was on telly the other day, oh, and we realised yeah. just how important a piece of film that was to me with yeah. comedy. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's yeah. just, you know, and, and the amount of jokes they put into everything. Can you think about the first time you saw Airplane, Naked mm. Gun, any of those films, Hot Shots? And you kind of go like, yeah. they just go for the funny as much as possible. Yeah. And when you're trying to put stuff on screen, you kind of think, oh, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And it's, it comes from films like that. But also genre parodies. Last mm. year we had um, we had like a sort of British crime caper parody uh, in, in yeah. one episode of Bad Elts. We had uh, a Jurassic Park uh, mm -hmm. pastiche. This year we've written a every episode movie. Every this episode. one that's, that owes a great debt of gratitude to um, uh, uh, Charlie, Cine, Charlie. Cinedoki, New York. Thank you very much. We're very influenced by cheese as well. Yeah. <laughs> just to say, that is uh, um, our sponsors, Brewdog Glasgow, <laughs> who have just provided us with a a feast of. Uh, the cheese and and meats and we didn't realize, pickles. And we didn't realize there was there's free food. We've ordered more food on top of the free food. So we are going to, in homage to another comic comedian, we are going to do a Mr. Creosote impersonation yeah. later on. <laughs> <laughs> when we've eaten all this food. And actually, like the Python movie, we talk about this because mm. you, you know the yeah. Python movies are a big uh, kind of inspiration because I love the TV series when I was growing up. I had the videos of that. Mm -hmm. What's so good about the t about the um, the films is it's the same sensibility, but done as a biblical epic yeah. or done as a crusade movie. It's still stupid jokes, mm. the same jokes you love from watching the TV show, but yeah. with real kind of big ambitions. And I think that's something we really aspire to to, to be to have big ambitions. We don't always pull it off, but you can definitely see we've yeah. got ambition. Mm. Well, I think in terms of like um, the way battles works, we always try to write things that. Rather than a plot arc over the series, which a lot of co comedies have now on television, a lot of comedies are 
really comedy dramas where they have a plot arc. Our, our mission's always to write short, contained episodes that kind of have their own conclusion, everything wraps up there. Um, a bit like writing an Edinburgh show, really. You think, this is the theme of the Edinburgh show, this is how it's going to work. So cinema's a good reference point for our episodes, in that, like Matt said, like one's a sports movie, one's a Charlie Kaufman film, one becomes a Bond film, one becomes, uh, is like sliding doors type thing. And every time you kind of think, well, in this episode, let's try <laughs> the and... Big <laughs> you kind of think, well, let's go. It's, let's it's go for that. Inspired by the dice man, not sliding doors. <laughs> <laughs> the player rolls a dice to make decisions about his life. It's not sliding doors. <laughs> it's not. Am I going to get short hair or long hair? <laughs> I'm going to level with you. I've not seen sliding doors. <laughs> it's uh, excellent. You uh, really should. Another version of me seeing sliding doors, <laughs> but I missed, oh, I missed the bus. Whoa! Blowing your mind, am I, listening? <laughs> So um, the, the, the kind of Les Mis homage, tribute, was that because of the film or was that because you're genuine fans of the musical? I, I'm just genuinely interested. Kind of neither, really. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> you just thought it would be fun. We got obsessed with a YouTube clip, actually. It was a, it was a YouTube clip that inspired us, which was the One Day More at the Royal... Was it the Albert Hall or the Royal Opera House? I think it was the Albert Hall. And it was just like so over the top and like proper gives you goosebumps. 25th anniversary. Yeah. Version, yeah, and it was just like this incredible piece of thing. And we were like, oh, we'll have a bit of that. <laughs> and then later on we found out the film was coming out. And it was like, oh, this is quite fortuitous actually. The film's coming out, people are remembering on a lame is again. And so, yeah, and it, so we had an episode that echoed that. So it was just quite good timing. Really. But that was really inspired by a YouTube clip, wasn't it? And yeah, and the other one was the YouTube it. clip of the, of the, it's like a cheesy wedding speech. I remember when all the people were standing up and it was like, you know, we just found this wedding speech of, of, of um, a bunch of quite good singers doing a kind of best man speech where everyone stands up in the room and sings One Day More. We thought that's got, a, it's a real sort of emotional resonance to someone run One Day More, so we'll steal that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I hate to bring it up again now because you've not seen anything at the film festival. Oh I feel terrible now. But what is the last film that you went to see and... What did you think of it? We had a cinema trip on Saturday. We on did, yeah. Uh, simultaneously, me and Tom went to see 12 Years a Slave. And I Matthew went, went to see the Lego movie. Hey! Um, I'm with Matthew here, actually. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd already seen 12 Years a Slave. Okay. So his credit, he was one flip ahead of us yeah. <laughs> By the way, this, this spicy cheese is insane. No, no use to the listener, but yeah. I recommend it. It's, it's, it's as good as the Lego movie. I, I really enjoyed the Lego movie. Yeah. I, it was a bit weird going to see it on my own on a Saturday night, but, um, but it's, it is a film that you don't, it's not a kiddie film, yeah. it's full of really good jokes, I love crowding the trucks and meetings, mm. you know, I, I remember seeing, I mean I went to see that with my wife, we didn't, you know, we don't have kids, we should go see kids' movies together, but it was, um, it was great, and I like the fact that if you were a little kid, you'd really, mm. of course you'd enjoy it, it's quite yeah. a classic adventure story. But yeah. the cinema was basically full of adults, mm. so I saw it at 9 o'clock in yeah. Glasgow. It's really, really good. I always love that about kids' films that have, you know, like, have good writing where you grow up and you kind of like, you watch it again yeah. and you're like, oh, that's what yeah. that meant. <laughs> Well, now I get those jokes. We're a bit obsessed with the Oscars. Um, yeah. And we kind of said it as a mission that every year by the time the Oscars come around, we've seen all the Oscar films, which was fine until two years ago when they expanded it to ten. <laughs> so now the be- best picture category is ten films, and that's a real chore when you've got things going on. Yeah. I saw so, Dallas um, Buyers Club. 
Yeah. yeah, we're trying to chase down all those films at the I've moment. got Nebraska, I've got a screener of Nebraska sitting on my bedside table, which I haven't watched yet, which I really want to see. Yeah, and then we've got like, um, we did Wolf of Wall Street together, oh, okay. which was, uh, oh, it was great. It, that would absolutely inspire an episode of Bad Ops. I can't wait to, uh, <laughs> yeah. can't wait to do that one when we go berserk. And, well, so do you stay up and watch the Oscars then? Do you try and stay up? We're used to it, yeah. And, well, it's tough filming battles because we're in rehearsals the next day, so it kind of prevents us doing. So we used to do all nighters where we play drinking games and, um, and like we, you know, make it a real event. We all get into tuxedos. Clarky falls asleep at two o'clock. Yep. We kind of make <laughs> a real, tra- it, make a real <laughs> tradition of it. It's always very important who's hosting and all that. But uh, the last two years, because we've been in Glasgow working, mm. kind of as uh, yeah. proper jobs has taken the edge off the Oscars ceremony. That's a shame, that's a shame. But you definitely recommend a Lego movie. What did you think of 12 Years a Slave then? Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really terrific. I gave it 12 stars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> one, one year for every year of slave. <laughs> 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 um, well, Tom said a funny thing on Twitter. It just made me laugh how producer, ba- producer Brad Pitt, Bagsy Foggy, the only good white guy. <laughs> well, there's only one good white guy part in it. Yeah. Can I show up like who's, who's played by a Canadian, and he's supposed to be Canadian, and then all the American baddies are played by British people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so they're really farming out the bad. The Americans don't actually do a bad thing in that film. <laughs> That's the incredible thing about that film. So, um, the one good guy is played by an American, all the baddies are British, pretending to be American. Yeah. Which is probably what they'll think is what slavery was. Yeah. Not those bad British guys pretending to be us. Um, it's an excellent film. It's a, it's a tough watch, but it's an excellent film. Did you see the first 11? <laughs> It's going to be like Ocean's 12. <laughs> Ocean, Ocean's 12 years a slave. You know what that's. Well, Brad Pitt's next to this. It'll be George Bernie showing up, free and sustained. That David gets involved. John Cheadle, what's your accent? Cheadle, <laughs> is, is there anything you're looking forward to in the rest of the year, then, in terms of films? Something her. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that'll be. Um, That'll be really good. Um, looking forward to the new Terry Gilliam movie that you're going to see because you're at the film festival and we're not. Thank you <laughs> for that. <laughs> no, we, we talked about Wes Anderson with the, the mm. Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. He's, yeah. he's been a big inspiration for us because he puts together such incredible characters and what, what, what kind of the inspiration from his films are like, he sets such clear parameters for his movie. He has this kind of like doll's house effect visually. But like I think that's kind of what you want to do when we're trying to put a show together. Is if you can work out the parameters of your show and have as much fun within those parameters, and that's what he does with all of his movies. Is he makes them very small so that he can make them big, you know, in a weird way. You know, yeah. he creates his own worlds and then operate within. So and that's kind of accept it. Also, as well, like Rushmore. I remember seeing Rushmore when I was however old I must have been, nineteen or twenty, whenever it came out, thinking. Like that is, those when he does those the, the recreations of um, like Serpico and Platoon um, and stuff like that, I, I absolutely love it. And actually, what we've done in this most recent series of Fat Adults is we've done a thing where Tom Skaters play um, about our life, which is again like the Sydney, uh, New York. But the final scene is very Rushmore, the real kind of yeah. you know painted yeah. sets that look just like the real sets. 
Tell you what else I'm really looking forward to. Just because I don't know what it's going to be like. Is Darren, Ar- Darren Aronofsky's uh, Noah's Ark? Yeah. With Ray Winston. With Ray Winston. <laughs> as somebody who isn't featured in the Bible. Yeah. And um, what, Russell, Russell Crowe as Noah. I mean, Hermione's there. I'm looking forward it's to be that a, in a way <laughs> where I will read the reviews for it, but probably not much film. I am still looking forward to it being. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going through that. I'm not sure I can sit through that. I'm really not going to sit through it. You know the story, it's a good story. <laughs> you, you and Harry can go and see it, I'll go you see loved, the Lego um, movie. You loved uh, Evan Almighty. <laughs> no, I did not. You did, you dumb, you <laughs> loved no, Evan Almighty. I've never seen that film. Oh, you uh, I'd just like to point out to our listeners that that kind of, that's the most in-depth film analysis that, that kind of treatise on Wes Anderson is the best thing that our listeners have ever listened to so thank you very much because we're, we are we're chances um, can we get a ticket to the film festival please I'll, I'll find you a ticket yeah, I'll find you a ticket um, and then finally uh, just thinking about podcasts because obviously you've got the uh, the very very successful um, Flatshare Slamdown, um, which I have featured on at some point in my distant past. Um, sold the beef. Uh, you, you sold uh, the Beef Brothers. Sold one of my beef about my my wife uh, being too good and too and that's what annoyed me. Yes, I remember that. And yeah. and as uh, as I was solve, I yeah, as I was saying, she's currently seven months pregnant and with our three and a half year old daughter in a flat down the road somewhere. As I'm in the pub talking to you so she's still not wised up um, so you've got Flash S and uh, Pappy's Bangs and Mash as well um, what is it about the podcast that has um, you know you seem to be big fans of the podcast what is it about the podcast that is different from other forms of uh, it's funny you forms? say we seem to be big fans of it mm. the reason we started this is genuinely true the reason we started doing podcasting was literally because we felt like we kind of exhausted the avenues open to us in a performing sketch comedy at the Edinburgh Festival, we've kind of hit a sort of glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. We've got as far as we could um, in terms of the audiences that we were attracting. Uh, we pitched shows to television, shows to radio, lots getting turned down. So we thought, well, we also want to keep creating something. Let's start creating that. And um, we did. And as a result, all of the other areas seem to kind of, sort of get a resurgence. We, we wrote more comedy together because we were writing for Happy Spaggers and Mash and writing for Flatsland. We wrote more sketches, so we had our live shows got better. Um, more people started showing up because they knew us. You know, we get people who only had ever heard podcasts and never seen us live, just didn't, you know. So we get more people come to our, our live shows. Um, commissioners were starting to pay attention to us because they would be able to, you know, it's, hard to, it's often hard to get commissioners to come out to see shows because there's so many shows happening and everyone's. So, but they can easily listen to something mm-hmm. in their office. So that's half an hour of kind of what we do. Well, I like so that. suddenly things started yeah. taking, taking off for us. And it was never the intention. It was just, we love making stuff together. Mm-hmm. And if people won't pay us to do it, we'll do it for free. <laughs> that's what I like about podcasting. Is I think it's, it's the closest thing. I think that's why comedians like podcasting so much. Is because if you want to be a comedian, you don't wait for somebody to come along and train you. Like, if you want to be an actor, you go to drama school and you have to go to auditions. You just start doing comedy. You go to a comedy night and put yourself on and do open mic nights. You are a comedian. And you don't have to wait for anybody to tell you you are a comedian. You have to just start doing it. And the same way with podcasting. It's like, if you want to be a broadcaster, if you want to make something, you can just make it. I mean, look at 
Look at look at you, James. You're an absolute <laughs> chancy. You've got your phone, you've got your phone, two laptops, you've sat in the corner of a pub, passing yourself off as a podcast. It's because, it's because you want to do it. You know, you don't need anybody to come along and say, you, you're now a qualified podcaster. It's very DIY. Because they clearly wouldn't. Well, they look at it. Of course they wouldn't let you. Go home to your pregnant wife. It's a very qualified podcaster. It's a contradiction in terms. Anyway, exactly that. If you were qualified, you wouldn't be podcasting. And it's the same with comedy. You know, It's like, if you want to do it, you do it. If you're a podcaster, you can podcast. Bang, it's out there on the internet. It's a real thing. And it's like, you don't have to wait for... And like with radio commissioners and things, they never, they'd never say, oh, you don't work off stage. You're, not, you, you, you're a visual kind of sketch group. And you can just start making a podcast and say, look, this is how we can do it. This is what we want to do. And you're doing it. And I think that's close to the ethos of comedy. And, it, and it's the same, it kind of the same goes the other way with the, the listeners. And that, you know, when you're listening to the radio or you're watching television, you feel like you're watching something that someone else has chosen for you to watch. Mm. It's, not, it's not fully your decision. Mm. Although, you know, you've got the different channels. I mean, podcasting, it feels much more personal. I think you get a much closer kind of personal relationship with your listeners because it's normally just a one-on-one situation they're listening to you the podcasts you're able to be very conversational in the way that you're not on other mediums mm. as much it's, it's, so it feels like you really have a dialogue with your listeners you're right it's intensely personal isn't yeah it? Um, i woke up this morning and had a message on twitter that just said you are an absolute legend and it was from <laughs> yeah. it's from a guy in pennsylvania right and i was like I had a quick look and I was like, who is this guy? I don't know why, why has he sent me that? And it made me smile. And then later on he posted another thing saying, at work, listening to Flatsland, keep laughing. And I just kind of thought, that's amazing. That there's a guy in Pennsylvania sat at his desk chatting to something we did, you know, eight months ago in a London pub. And he sent this message. I was thinking, that's what you like about podcasting. You never know where it's going to end up because once it's out there, it's out there and, it, and anybody can access it. It's a, it's a really incredible thing. And that, that the sense of discovery is so important to things on the internet, I think. We, we, we have endless frustrating conversations where people say, let's make a viral video. <laughs> you know, and you go, well, a video, you can't make a viral video. A video has to go viral. But anyway, let's not get bogged down in semantics. <laughs> you know, once, once a clip... Once a clip has, you know, a Channel 4 logo in front of it or a BBC logo in front of it, immediately that sense of discovery disappears. And I think, um, I think you don't, you don't have that broadcasting because it's so much, so much of it is independent. So much of the people you know, literally like this take it on laptops or on phones and and then just send it out across the world. So people really feel like an ownership around it because they don't necessarily with, um, you know, a television, like a panel show on television. Um, so it's great. It's really awesome. Um, and also, we don't have any of the restrictions. If we think of a funny idea, what I love about live comedy is we think of a funny sketch, that night we can go say performing it. Mm. For better or for worse. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, or for worse or for worse. <laughs> yeah, 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 for worse or for worse. Um, but I also love that about podcasting. We don't have to go through. We're lucky to have two really, really fantastic producers, Colin Anderson and Ben Walker, mm. who both really know their stuff and are, and are wonderful and really supportive. But basically, if we say we'd like to do this, they go, yeah, all right, so they try and make it work rather than have to go through committee. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a kind of purity to it. What it means is some of it really doesn't work people like that as well they like the rough edges of it and um, that's what people like about seeing live comedy it's, a really, it's like the closest thing to live I think it's, it's, it's the closest thing to live but telly can't capture is that sort of energy of 
this isn't going great. How are they going to pull it, turn it around? Yeah. How are they going to make it work? I love that. I love that. Yeah. And of course, having heard uh, your podcasts, um, guests generally can't be drunk uh, on TV episodes, but. Uh, well, I think, yeah. I mean, but that in itself, that makes a guess. Also, the, the drunkest really. host is also the man I've seen on, on, drunk, on television more than any other. The drunkest guest was mm. Rufus Hound. Yeah. And I could find an infamous find, episode. I could find, <laughs> find a clip of Rufus Hound on television where he wasn't hammered out. <laughs> I was going to say he's tiny, man. He's wonderful, brilliant lines. And And on that piece of hello-esque kind of gossip (laughs) trading, uh, I'd just like to say thank you very much to uh, Matthew, Tom and Ben for joining me tonight. Um, When will people be able to see uh, Bad Old Series 2 on BBC3? Hopefully summer 2014. Summer 2014. And are tickets still available if they hear this and want to apply? Where can they apply for tickets for the filming? Oh, yeah. If you... Find us on Twitter. Yes. We'll get you okay, and we'll, we'll tweet that link. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Chad. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so welcome back, and for a bit of fun, because um, last time we did this, uh, Mr. McFarlane over there, Accused me of cheating. You did cheat. I don't know what you did, but you cheated. I beat him. Uh, I think ah, he's, he's, the three of those letters were correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very, very drunk. I know you cheated. I just don't know why you cheated or how you cheated. Uh, yeah, but damn um, it, you cheated. Now we were going to settle this with a gentlemanly game of magnetic fishing, but I'm not sure that's quite up for a podcast. I'm not quite sure how we'd. Kind of, uh, a yeah, exactly. So instead, we are going for a straight out penalty shootout style. Five, five film questions. Very quick. I'm going to go to you, Dave, first. Okay. Which film character sang about the bare necessities? (laughs) Blue, correct. There we go. Okay. What was the name? Of the great mouse detective. Has it still me? Yeah, it's still you. Oh, we're, going, right. we're doing your five in one go. Oh, right, okay. The great mouse detective? Yes. Danger mouse. It was Basil. It was Danger Mouse. <laughs> Which movie required <laughs> Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane to dress as women? Oh, none too, Aaron. Correct. That's not been TV in years, by the way. I was thinking about that last week. It's oh, a great film. I know. Yeah. Which of Hook's hands had five fingers in the Disney's Peter Pan? The one that didn't have the hook. Next question. You're not getting out of it that easy. Come on, you got a 50 50 chance. Left. It was the right. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember. And, and who played Big Boned Rosemary in Shallow Hal? Oh, what's her name? Aye, of course you know. Of course he knows it, yeah. What a falter. Dave, very respectable three out of five there. I'll have to get one, no, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Dave's got three. Oh, no. Okay, over to you then, Paul. Which movie star Parminda Nagra as a female footballer? Ben Beckham. Correct. Which, is it easy? Which film hears Anthony Perkins say, Mother's not quite herself today? No, it's Psycho. 
Which animated movie informed the mice of the world that there are no cats in America? And I can sing that bit for you. It kind of goes, there are no cats in America. Hey, <laughs> I'm just probably going to be singing. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the answer. No, know the it's answer. an American tale. Yeah. I need to get these next two, right? Which oh, decade provided the setting for American graffiti? Oh, that's fucking annoying me. 60s. Correct. And which kind of very large and clumsy animals dress in pink for a ballet routine in Fantasia? Fuck's sake. Oh, we have to get you young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's from the 30s. We're all too young. <laughs> we can have that again. Ah, Which kind of very large and clumsy animals dress in pink for a ballet routine in Fantasia? Elephants. It's hippos! Oh. Yes! <laughs> Dave stays in the lead. Who wants to ask them? Who fell in love with Aladdin in the Disney film? Princess Jasmine. Yes. What kind of creature was Freddy in the film Freddy as F-O-R-7? F-R-O-7. F-R-O-7. A frog. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what was the second Michael Keaton Batman film called? Batman Returns. Yes. <laughs> Which bodily growth shares its name with a boy who eventually became King Arthur in The Sword and the Stone? Jesus. Uh, Boyle. What? What? And to win, this movie introduced Beyonce Knowles as a sidekick to a dentally challenged spy. It's one of the Austin Powers ones. Ah, what one is it? <laughs> I'm going to say Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. No, there's gold medals. Oh, oh, damn it! Oh. Okay, sudden death. Sudden death, okay, yeah. we'll go one at a time then. Yeah, Paul's taking over. Oh, of course I'm on, alright. They fucking pressure. Which 1992 movie was subtitled The New Batch? Know it. Oh, damn it. Very good. I what you gonna do? <laughs> what was the title of the film about the hunchback named Quasimodo? Uh, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yep. Okay. Why is he getting easy ones? <laughs> Dave, which Rocky film's original ending had Rocky dying after his final triumph in the ring? Uh, two. Five. You must end the ring in that. <laughs> James to win again. Fuck off. Which top rushing film is about siblings Jake and Elwood? The Blues Brothers. Piss off. Oh. Yes! It definitely Shirt overhead, <laughs> running to the corner flag. <laughs> Do you know what? If I'd lost that, though, it would have said a huge amount about my ability to run this podcast. <laughs> to be fair, you can't shoot one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well but, played. Very finally then, just because we like to do a little bit of politics on the... Uh, we don't, but we are. Because I'm, well, I'm up in Glasgow, and obviously this is the year where the people of Scotland get to decide their own fate, and who could begrudge them that, but will they vote yes or no? But it, more interesting for me, not just the fact that this might be an international film festival next year, which gives it a certain cachet, but who's going to make the film of it? What's it going to look like? So when they eventually make the film of this period in time of Scotland... Um, I'm going to go to you first, Paul. Who are you casting in your Independence Day film? Right. Um, well, for me, I, I thought the four, four main, there's going to be four yeah. main characters in it. There's going to be Alex Salmon, there's going to be David Cameron, yeah. 
there's going to be George Osborne because his be sidekick yeah. and then there's going to be Nicholas Sturgeon as well okay yeah so um, for Alex Salmond I think there was, there was a choice of two for me but um, if nobody else says it I'll say the second one at the end but go for four Kiernan um, of still game tuning the fat fame mainly because he's got a big chin same as Alex Salmond but um, I think he's, he's if you put a, put a bit of you know, dark hair on him um, make him a wee bit rounder he, he, he would do a good job as, as salmon to be a, um, coming across as, as I fear you've put more thought into this than I have yeah. I'm panicking as much as I so he would he would be salmon and uh, I think there's only one logical choice um, for, for Nicholas Sturgeon and salmon's deputy uh, Elaine Chee Smith I think that, 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 that that's Anybody, I think you would throw the first person that popped out of your head, that's who it would be clear. Obviously, Rav Sheen is bit amongst other things, um, very good actress. Um, and I think that, not so much as, more comedy rather than anything else, but I think she would maybe give a wee bit of late relief in the film. Um, and then it's going on David, David Cameron and, and George Osborne. I think for me, the only person that just now round about that could play David Cameron would be Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, English, very pompous. In every film yeah. ever uh-huh. at the moment, yeah. And um, who could easily become so unlikable that Scottish people would just throw eggs at the cinema yeah. screen, you know. Um, could turn his hand to anything. And I think for, for him, to be David Cameron would be, be a walk in the park. Um, and this one a wee bit left field, maybe for, for George Osborne, just simply because I think he kind of looks like him. Um, Brendan Fraser. Um, I think... I know he's American, but I think um, I get the looks. You kind of yeah. push his hair back a wee bit, and you you make him kind of smile awkwardly rather than uh, like getting a good-looking kind of way. And then he he could easily do kind of George Osborne's weird persona. Um, so that would be the four main people. And I think because um, this Scottish film, Ken Loach has to direct it. Excellent. And how does it end? Uh, it, it's a draw. It ends. <laughs> Simply because who's playing who ends in independence. Because I'd rather Ford Kiernan be my Prime Minister than Cumberbatch. Yes, OK. Over to you then, Dave. Well, He's putting a lot of work yeah, there. Yeah, Paul's putting a lot of thought here, <laughs> and I've found precisely none. So, oh, you're similar. Alex Salmon, we need somebody who's fat, yeah. a bit of an idiot, or at least can play an idiot. So for me, that's Robbie Coltrane. Nice. I've got the logic, just he's fat, yeah. he's playing an idiot. And he's um, Scottish. And he's, well, there's that, aren't yeah. Yeah, That's a minor fucking bonus. <laughs> um, can I call a sturgeon? Um, put out the crankies. <laughs> Just because she's small too. Yeah. Um, but George Ronda, I think you need somebody who's a bit of a bumbling fool. You know, maybe not quite all there. So I'll get more in accent, but no. uh, Mr. Bean can only be Mr. Bean. Okay, so he's actually Mr. Bean. Ah, he's, he basically is Mr. Bean. Yeah. And I can't think of anybody else, but just Alistair Darwin. I'm sure he'll be involved somewhere, so brains for Thunderbirds. Nice. Okay, and how does that end? And the actual puppeteer, the actual moving them. Nice. You okay. can see the puppeteer. So have you got, have you got the, the ghost of Jerry Anderson directing this yes. film? Yes. Excellent. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, and how does it end for you? Score draw. Score draw, okay. Uh, I, I've gone from the point of view where... Uh, the, I, I think I think the Scots will all go for independence. I don't necessarily think they will, but I think it's more fun to think of it in filming terms. So I've decided that in ten years' time, um, we like a happy Mel Gibson is going to return to Scotland to tell about your second greatest victory over the English. So uh, Alex Hammond's going to be played by Mel Gibson.
um, in a, a heroic. A lot of yeah, yeah heroic. Simon the Sinners out back here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and because being told from the victor's point of view, I think Jennifer Lawrence is going to play Nicholas Sturgeon. Jesus this is, this is re- <laughs> this is I'm really fed and much disappointed that woman. It's a very, very sexy kind of like, yeah, we beat the. So f- from the English point of view, I, I, I've got um, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie as. Basically, ah. their Jeeves and Worcester style persona <laughs> to play David Cameron and uh, George Osborne, and also David Bowie appearing as himself as Kate Moss, deliver- <laughs> delivering David Bowie's um, "Stay with Us" message at the Brit Awards. So, David Bowie with a wig on, doing it. it yeah, um, yeah. Directed by Mel Gibson, obviously, and oh. and, and the end result is that not only does Scotland uh, secede from the Union, they also take over the nuclear submarines. And nuke London. Um, so it's. Oh, I think we can all get involved with <laughs> <right now>. that. <laughs> Sounds good. No. Excellent. I was going to say, none of you mentioned them. I think, logically, if, if a film was to be made of Scottish independence 10 years down the line, the only person that could play Alex Hammond would be Alex Norton. That, Who's Alex Norton? You don't know what? Alex Norton. I just don't know the name. Slap yeah. his balls. Try, I can't read. <laughs> Alex Norton. I don't know who Alex Norton is. I'd, I'd, I'll show you a picture of him. Okay. Right. Uh, you see a picture of him. Yeah, yeah, probably will. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, right. no, that's, yeah. Basically, let's translate this well to a podcast. Okay, yeah, 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 obviously. Right. Basically, I've just seen a picture of a man that looks like Alex. Right. No, basically, <laughs> Alex Norton is. Um, he, Scottish. Right. Right. He's, he's been all sorts. He's in Braveheart, I didn't know that, actually. Oh, um, no, no. So. Um, he, he, he looks like Alex Salmon, so if you, if you, you know who he is, if you don't go Google him, you'll see I, I, he should play Alex Salmon. Uh, you'll recognise that straight away. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Again, it's been a pleasure to spend the day with you. I've just got time to tell you then that I have just finished watching The Zero Theorem, the new film from Terry Gilliam, about an hour ago. Uh, it stars Christoph Waltz. It is a futuristic, dystopian mindfuck, essentially. Uh, Terry Gilliam sees it as the third in his trilogy of dystopian sci-fi films after Brazil and 12 Monkeys. Um, It's fantastical. It's wonderful to look at. And to be honest, I still don't really know what it was about or what actually happened. However, great performances, uh, not only from the star Christoph Waltz, but um, people like David Thewlis, and some really fun cameos from people like Tilda Swinton and Matt Damon as well. It's, um, I can't wholeheartedly recommend it, in a sense, and I need to let it sink in uh, and percolate, but what I will say... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm glad that this film has been made, that Terry Gilliam's still getting to make films, and it's certainly something I'd recommend you at least taking a look at when it becomes available and that's actually pretty much it for this week's podcast and my very enjoyable sojourn in Glasgow uh, if I was to recommend one film from this week it would be Richard Iwardi's The Double um, closely followed by 20 Feet from Stardom I think um, 
But check out uh, feldcritics.com for reviews of all the films that we've seen. Plus, you'll also be able to see Mike Shawcross's report on Frightfest, which is starting right now in Glasgow. So he's there. He's going to report back on that for us as well. I'm also involved in uh, another selection of podcasts at the moment as well. And you know, sod it, Stephen uh, Owen aren't here to stop me, so I'm just going to plug those very quickly. If you go to Diamond and Human, one word, diamondandhuman.com. Uh, we've already got the first episode of Let the Music Play on there, which is a, a music-based podcast with proper licensing and everything. Uh, and shortly, uh, a new film podcast called The Pitch. Uh, just very, very, very quickly like to thank our guests for uh, turning up this week. So that's uh, Dave McFarlane of BornOffside.net, Paul Fisher of The Right Club, .co.uk and very 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 huge thanks to uh, the, the wonderful the friendly and the very very funny Pappies um, you can check out their website at pappiescomedy.com you can also download their podcasts uh, Flatshare Slamdown and Bangers and Mash from links on their website and finally thank you very much to Brewdog Bar Glasgow for providing us with wonderful hospitality some food some drink uh, and a lovely kind of pit stop for us to come away from the festival and talk about films. Thank you very much. We'll be back to normal next week with our Oscar special. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Yeah. The, the unhappiness kind of comes across in the, the terms of the guy and his job and the woman with her life. And, um, but it falls into place quite nicely, and I think the, the way in which it works is it's not bared through phoning or texting or emails or even like any social media now, as with handwritten letters. It's, it's pretty unique in a sense for this day and age as well. I mean, it's, it's, mm. that, was, that made it a, a good bit better for me, I think, yeah. as well, the, the handwritten thing. Yeah, I, I th- what I did like about it was it was actually, despite being set in India, with this whole lunchbox thing which is completely alien to me. It was, it was quite a universal film in the sense that I've seen films like this throughout the decade. Brief Encounter, for example. Yeah, it was about this kind of forbidden love between two people who really shouldn't be communicating but are um, in the mood for love. A brilliant Hong Kong film from 2001, I think it is. Very, very similar. And, of course, as, as we've already mentioned, the, uh, the Tom Hanks and uh, uh, Meg Ryan classic You've Got Mail. But... It was a universal story. What I liked as well is the, the office in it. Uh, the, the, the older guy worked in an office, and you could sit there and go, yeah, I've been there. Despite the fact that it's on the other side of the world, it's based in Mumbai. Um, although the subtitles kept referring to Bombay, which I found quite interesting. Cause I think the subtitles were a bit of a mess, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was a lot of times, you obviously have a conversation in English, and it comes up in subtitles, yes, no, <laughs> I heard the words. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't think the subtitles are the best. Them. No, no. And it did that kind of thing that I, I've noticed in some Indian films um, where kind of just swaps between English and Hindi, you know, quite easy. And it's just a fact that so many people there speak English but also speak in their own language, which was quite And actually thinking of the subtitles, one of the... I'm sure it was an unintentioned thing. Um, I'm just having a look at my notes here. There was a line I wrote down where someone actually says... Your lunchbox has an amazing aroma, which, was, um, which made me laugh, and I think that was not intentional. But actually, thinking about that, the, the food was a key part of the film. Uh, what were you? Th- 
Were you salivating when yeah, watching this? Very much uh, so. You're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, they're describing all these different kinds of food where the lunchboxes are coming in every day and it's different food that's coming in. It's, it's all Indian, it's curries, and you can see the chapatis there, the old homemade fresh stuff. And you're thinking, oh, I don't really want to be sitting in a cinema, I want to be kind of going, to Indian, uh, going to India and, and sample yeah. the food, which for a, a, a basic lunch, you think, oh, as Dave was saying after the film, he gets a ham salad for his lunch, and then you're sitting there, and these guys get really good yeah. curries and different things to go along with it. Yeah. And you think, oh, that's brilliant. And that yeah. in itself is quite unusual because in India, it tends to be mass produced the way they don't make the lunch, it's just yeah. the cost as well. Yeah. And it just makes you cook everything all at once. But obviously, the main character was getting a different lunch pretty much every day. Yeah. Home cooked rather than a, a back of a kitchen somewhere. Obviously, not for how long it's well, but it was a lot of effort for a mini meal, and also you could tell the difference straight away. Yeah. And yeah. also, at some point, pretty much early on the movie, he went away. He thought he was getting lunch, but said, That was good today. Keep that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Lunchbox out later on this year. Um, it, it's not. Although it's at, at times a touch derivative, I'd say it's not your typical kind of romantic film there. Um, don't go in expecting necessarily everything to plan out exactly as you think it would, but would you recommend it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I certainly would, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so another film we're going to talk about now. Uh, myself and Dave have seen this. This is uh, a documentary about Gore Vidal. Gore Vidal, the United States of Amnesia. Uh, a documentary cataloguing the last few years of his life, but also featuring highlights from his illustrious career as a novelist, but I think most importantly of all, uh, as an intellectual uh, in political debate. Um, Dave, you said you, you, you've had an interest in Gorgadal for a few years anyway, so yeah. what did you think about the film? You know, it was always a fantastic career, and massively passionate about his country and his politics, and obviously he'd other talents, he was a fantastic writer, he was a screenwriter as well, you know, so many talents, it was the fair, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do feel it was the documentary itself started really slowly, whether it was going through his childhood and his young life, and I don't think that necessarily brought him to it, because, well, it's not exactly a secret, yeah. but, you know, I'd actually text Paul about 25 minutes in, and my dad was like, this is shite, I know all this, <laughs> but after that, that's when it properly kicked into yeah. life for me, and there was a lot more bore, as you say, interface between him talking to the camera, and then... Obviously, more his political views, and yeah. his different interviews he had within the 60s, 70s, and even up to the present day, the likes of John Stewart and so on. And, uh, I mean, that's always been a fan of the man, and yeah. I, I know we discussed this before, like, where's the British version of Gokadal? Uh, something that our politics badly need. Exactly, I, I think watching it, and watching some of the historic debates that he had with, was it William Faulkner? I think that was the note. I forget, I thought Faulkner was his, definitely Faulkner. Yeah, um, around the kind of 60s, U.S. presidential debates and uh, and an intellectual Republican, mm. an intellectual liberal and Democrat, and just watching their debates, which just leveled you in terms of what, like you say, why don't we have anything like that? They don't have anything like that in America either. To be fair, oh, you've got Fox News and things like that, but you know, you look at our Question Time and the fact that they wheel out people like Melanie Phillips and Richard Littlejohn. For, Richard Littlejohn for me is the anti Gore Vidal and yeah. everything about him. <laughs> I you know, I'm not editing that out. I'm done. Yeah, I, 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 right, I, right, I right, think, think we can prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that one go to court. But you know, the, there aren't really any intellectual because I think so at times it feels like we live in an age where intellectualism is frowned upon. Whereas back then, people actually looked up to and respected these intellectuals, regardless mm. of their political points of view. I think that's Be a change of society as well, more than else. I mean, everything is so quick. You know, mm. everybody get on Twitter, get on Facebook, let's tweet, let's talk shit. 
Yeah. But by the way, you can follow us at at failed critics. Born off say blog. Bob underscore Ray Club. We'll just join you. Okay. <laughs> but um, you're right though. Yeah. Just definitely the seventies and eighties, especially. And people would think to read the papers, um, the political papers that he wrote, and all sorts of stuff he did. Yeah, um, I think society in general misses people at Dover Yeah, exactly. There, there was a little bit of a. It was quite interesting hearing his views on people that you assume that he would have been, you know, massively passionately for. But hearing his um, views on John F. Kennedy, for example, was really interesting. Saying that he was one of the worst presidents that the United States of America ever had. Bill which brought in pretty much as part of the Kennedy family as well. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's really interesting. You think. Yeah, we've also bought into that myth of John F. K. as this uh, kind of liberal superior that actually, and Gorvidal says, no, I liked him. He did a terrible job. And Christopher Hitchens as well, who is a great writer, but seeing that they kind of grew closer together, but actually started growing apart as well, and, you know, clash of egos and things like that. As as, as Hitchens' mindset and political views, we didn't necessarily change, but, you know, kind of... Formed to any something else, Gorfdal's didn't, you know, yeah. he was steadfast to end, he was a very... Yeah, he, yeah, he, he had integrity, yeah. yeah, no, that, that's... So what I would say is, if if you are not of a... Imagine if you are not of a kind of centre-left or left-wing persuasion, watch that film, would you enjoy it? I'd like to see somebody watching <laughs> it. <laughs> it's, I think you're right, it is definitely one of those films that I think is... My only criticism would be is that sometimes it's preaching to the converted in the sense that mm-hmm. people with left-wing views are going to watch that and go, wasn't Gore Vidal brilliant, but is anyone else going to watch it? Probably if anybody else it was, they like, oh, it's Gore Vidal, he's a pick. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, as, if anybody's getting any sort of political leanings, if somebody should watch him, just to learn more yeah. about the man. And yeah. Well, he might not agree with his political views, but he was just so talented, such yeah. a, a lovely man. Yeah. I mean, he had his flaws at everybody else, but he mm. never had it. Mm. He just refused to hide it, and plus his long-term partner died ten years before he did. Yeah, and he seemed to turn out a bit of a close after that. And mm. the, the bit of the documentary I got quite emotional mm. at it was when he was leaving the venal in Italy when mm. he stayed for years. Yeah, because he obviously his health was failing. He knew that, so he was, he was going home to die. Yeah, he knew that. Everybody knew that. And just watching that guy say mm. goodbye and they know who he was. It was quite emotional to watch him wave and goodbye. Yeah, he knew he was coming back, and yeah. you knew he was coming back either. Yeah. Yeah. So if you know about it, so it's quite a bit, yeah, you're right, it's quite a personal documentary as well. It's not just about a man's politics, it's about a man as well. And I think that's, that's really important. Um, the other film that we kind of had pre-access to uh, as a screener, and, and Dave, you're the only one who's actually watched it all the way through, and uh, I applaud you in a sense, is um, an Italian film uh, named Salvo. Um, Dave, do you want to sum up? Because I, I, this is where I'm going to make a confession here, uh, and my loyal listeners, uh, my devoted fans out there, well, four, uh, of yeah, four. No. I've got four fans now. Ah, of course. Oh, right, brilliant. <laughs> um, you will be disappointed that I've tried to watch this twice and got to the halfway point, and it's just got to the stage where I've got, I've got to turn this off because I'm going to get angry because I'm I'm so frustrated. What am I doing watching this film? Um, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about Salvo? I, I'm not going to lie, if it was the fact that we watched it for your, the podcast, I would have bothered. I, I turned it off as well. I run the damn thing, and I didn't I bother. I'm a professional, damn it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, the first 10 minutes of the film, you think you're in for a real action adventure. I think mm. this is going to be great, you know. Mm. The main character, Salvo, is just essentially, I, my note said, shooting cunts. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's kind of his job description. Yeah, he I mean, to, that's he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a mafia on. bodyguard and hitman. Yeah, he seems to be fairly high up in the local mafia. Yeah. Um, after that, he seems to kind of have a creepy game of hide and seek with a blind girl, so he wins. That's where I kept turning off. Cause, uh, 15 minutes of a man creeping around a house and a blind girl walking around singing. And I, 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 that was the point. I lost my mind. I genuinely did. I don't think get much better to be fair. I've I've never walked out of a film in the cinema, but I do think I might have walked out of this one if I'd been at the cinema. I get what they were trying to do, but fifteen minutes yeah. really, there yeah. was no need for it. Yeah, especially if she was blind. Damn it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> if you were so inclined. Yes. Um, um, eventually, it comes into a weird story. Yeah. Where he kills the, the woman we're talking about, Vita. He kills her brother because he ordered a hit on her, which is why he was killing cunts. Yeah. Um, now, it doesn't really transpire why or how, but it seems to develop some sort of feelings towards Vita. And after he kidnaps her, of course, looks after her, makes sure she's fed and watered, and they seem to eventually just run away. And the movie ends where he's essentially told the mafia he's not going to kill her. Um, there's a shootout with him and the mafia, but you don't see it. Yeah. And. He just a bunch out. She seems to match with again a psycho with three sounds. <laughs> so she's running in the dark, but knows where she's gone. It's like, Come on, guys, she's blind. <laughs> yeah. But she finds Salvo, and they seem to go into the neighbouring town that all of a sudden exists, you know, didn't before. Yeah. Uh, they steal a car, and then it cuts to them in a house where Salvo falls asleep, and that seems to be the end of the movie. Right, okay. Um, uh, yeah, apology. Uh, yeah, we, we might have just told you the whole movie there, but I, uh, I don't. Um, do you know I'm, what? Dave doesn't care. Take, it's, for own, it's really for your own sake. Don't yeah. watch it. Because it does need to develop any characters with yeah. it. Just that, well, yeah. What I did notice in the half an hour I watched twice. Um, if I watch that opening half an hour again, I've basically watched enough of the film. You've got um, the general gesture. Yeah, but it, it's very, very low on dialogue as well. It's all about mood and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get any better. After. I think there's about 100 <laughs> words in the movie, full stop. And I, I like the sort of camera effects in the first half of the film where it seemed to be over Salvo's shoulder. I mm. thought that was... Not necessarily a first-person view, but it was something different. There was a real realism to it, wasn't mm. there? Because there was no music as well, and it was yeah. very much um, the sound effects that own the sound effects in shot and things like yeah, that. Yeah, just that and the music was when people were listening to music and yeah. things like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems to have not held out for the film. No, I mean that's about in the fifteen minutes and for this bit now, where all the sounds get louder and. Also, we know Vita's brain, so your senses seem to like develop. And yeah. I thought that was quite a good, you know, I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing, that's great. And then it just got crap. Don't watch it. Okay, so that's Salvo. Don't days. watch it. Um, we'll be back after this break with some more reviews of films we've seen at the festival. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I'm now going to talk to Paul, uh, who's seen some films with, not only with me, but some films by himself. But first, let's talk about Mood Indigo, the new Michel Gondry film starring Audrey Tateau, Roman uh, Duris, and Omar Sy from Intouchables. It tells the story of a confirmed bachelor who marries uh, a wonderful, charming woman, uh, but she's got a flower growing in her lung, which will slowly kill her. Uh, Paul, your your immediate thoughts on Mood Indigo? Visually very good. Yeah. Storyline. I, being a Gondry yeah. film, you'd expect Aye. that, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, yeah he, this is the guy who did Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, uh, Science of Sleep, even The Green Hornet, which, not great, but looked great. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, loads of visual trickery and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, um, Apart from that, um, I don't really know what to, what do you say about it. It's it's it's, it's interesting. Um, story. That's always a word that you use when when you're trying not to slag off. Oh, it was interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. As an experience, as well. yeah. it's probably it's not it's probably the worst film I've seen this year. Um, um, and it's it's. It's not to say it's, it's that bad, but I've seen really good films this year. That's yeah. The, that's yeah, the thing. this year has started really well. Um, yeah. No, actually, it's the second worst. Walking with Dinosaurs was worse. Than that. Okay. Um, but no, it was, it, it, it was interesting. It was visually good. Um, Audrey Tattoo, I thought, was was, was good. The, yeah. the acting and the, the performances. But the way it just kind of jumped from... It started really slowly, I thought, and then it kind of... The, the storyline built up, and then it just jumped and jumped and jumped, and then it was finished. It was like... Although, yeah, what I will say is I think we watched the Harvey Weinstein cut, which has been cut half an hour from the original cuts, and that might explain, A, why it kind of just finished all of a sudden, but Mm. I will say I don't usually agree with Weinstein's savaging of his own films, but I don't think I could have watched another half an hour. No, I think the, the 90 minutes that we watched was enough. Yeah, there was there was some really nice mo, you know, like kind of little um, surreal moments. Uh, one of the thing, one of the main characters' inventions is a piano cocktail, which is a piano that, as you play it, it mixes a cocktail for you. And if you play minor chords, it comes up with different drinks and stuff like that. And that's a really nice touch. And there were a few really nice kind of visual things about them. Uh, there was a, an actual race to the altar, so yeah, they decide yeah. to get married, and then they have to jump into toy pedal cars. And whoever gets to the church first actually gets them. Because the vicar goes, no, I, I, there's got to be a race. I only want to marry. Yeah. It, it, it's weird, <laughs> but you kind of go along with it because it is a bit charming. There's a guy dressed as a mouse, which is just... I, I, just, I just never got that throughout the entire film. See, I got that more than I got the, these, the guys, the main character, Paul and his friend, had a weird obsession with a guy who did lectures and was a writer. I quite like that. That doesn't really brought absolutely nothing to the film. I don't understand why it was there. It was just like, uh, this guy, uh, he likes this guy. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. They're doing a director's announcement, can't you? Yeah. It was. And towards the end, because certain bad things happening and things like that but actually the moment I did that I thought this really looks like um, a Salvador Dali Louis Brunel film it really looks like um, Chen Andalou or something yeah a proper surrealist film from the yeah. 1930s uh, and which is a shame because there's actually some nice chemistry between uh, Durez and Toto as the, the kind of lead characters Omar Sy is brilliant as yeah. this guy's mentor and lawyer who's a cook just like part time, he he's brilliant. Anyone who's seen Intouchables will think, yeah, I want to see him in more stuff. It's brilliant he's in this. There's some lovely vision, but my problem with the, my biggest problem with the film was every time there was a moment of any kind of drama, or any kind of romance, you're waiting for something weird to happen on the screen. So you're going, all oh, right, this is a nice touch moment. Yeah, but something's got, something weird's going to happen there. That book's going to turn into a flower. Or they're going to turn upside down and end up in jelly or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I, I just kept going, yeah, but what weird is going to happen now? And I, that's what really distracted me from the film. You know, it was like it was like a, a weird dystopian age that we were living in, but it wasn't really back in time or it wasn't really in the future. It was just like, oh, they're living just now, but it's completely changed. The world's changed. The money's different. And this guy lives inside a train. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's a weird vision of yes. something that maybe could have worked if, 
more so, but I'm Which, and I'll kind of come on and briefly talk about the double shortly, but that did something very, very similar, but I think far more effectively. Um, after Mood Indigo, we then went to watch uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, the Oscar-nominated documentary uh, focusing on the backing singers of the great kind of pop and rock tracks over the age. Again, Paul, what did you think of that? Yeah, that's, this was better. It was like... I was expecting a lot from it. Obviously, Oscar-nominated documentaries, you're going to expect a lot of stuff to come out of this. And it was it was good in a sense where they got so many big names to come on board. They had Bruce Springsteen and it's Sting talking through it, explaining what backing singers do and how, how big they are. And I, I think that's a really interesting point, is you kind of... You, we do take them for granted, yeah, you and them. you go, well, they're backing singers. Yeah. And then I think during this documentary, they they use some very specific examples of, uh, and I think one of the one of the backing singers, I think it's Mary Clayton, says at one point that um, all those bits that you sing along to yeah. on these songs, they're the backing singers' bits that you sing along to. They're the ones that bring these songs to life. Uh, and it is a really nice documentary, and it does shine a spotlight on these yeah. people that haven't necessarily had. A huge yeah, amount of pain. The, the, the thing that kind of got me was like, obviously going through the ages with, with Mick Jagger was was on it as well, like talking through the Rolling Stones and and saying how he just jumped to they were in the bank was earlier New York they were in. It was for Gimme Shelter, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, talking just, about how they feel, how they recorded Gimme Shelter. Just, yeah, it was great. Like, things like that, things like that, which just wouldn't happen nowadays. And, yeah. um, these people who are backing singers who maybe. They've tried and they've failed, or they've tried and they've been successful with being solo artists. But I think the, the only the only kind of criticism that I got was that, um, when it was talking about I can't, I can't remember her name, the, the Michael Jackson's backup singer. Kept, oh, kept the, um, to her. Uh, Hill um, began with J- Judith Hill. Judith Hill. He kept alluding to her. He kept seeing her on screen, but it never, he never realised who she was, or he never explained why she was there. And it's she kind of been in. She, no, she wasn't mentioned. She was, you could see her on screen until there was a section where... The, yeah, she, she was in, in the credits it was introducing Judith Hill because yeah. uh, the credits were kind of like talking and, about... And, and I thought, people. right, who is that? I've heard the Spice yeah. also, but I've heard the Hulk so yeah. 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 And, I, and this, this got me up to, oh, this is going to be really... This is going to be the, the big section of the, yeah. the documentary where it's going to focus on her for a good amount of time, but it kind of wasn't wasn't massively good. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of letdowns, to be yeah. honest, when she, when she came on screen. It was like... Right, this is the new breed, but didn't really go on yeah. to explain what the new breed does. Uh, yeah, no, that's right. I think it got a little bit unfocused in places, and it would jump between one or two different. Uh, and there are some really interesting characters. Yeah, that yeah. Darlene Love, who's yeah. the one that I kind of knew of because I, I know of Phil Spector's kind of view. But hearing how um, Phil Spector had completely shafted her many times over. In the 60s, yeah, that's the first time I've properly heard some of those stories. Um, really interesting one, though, for me was Lisa Fisher, who has won a Grammy uh, uh, as a solo artist, but decided she, she's one of the few people that decided she didn't want to be a solo artist. So you're watching it, and most of these people, even though they're talking about the art of backing singing, how amazing backing singing is and harmonies, you can still see in most of their eyes they want to be solo singers. But Lisa Fisher's the one who says, I'm happy. What I do is backing singing. And it's really nice hearing her contemporaries talk about her as being a musical genius. You know, Sting's saying that he couldn't produce the sound he does without her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been on the Rolling every Rolling Stones tour since 1988 as their, fem- their main female vocalist on the tour. Mm-hmm. But she's happy there. Yes. And it's really interesting seeing this woman going, you know, I had a chance and it kind of came and went and I don't regret it. Uh, but the rest of them are like, there's, uh, you know, obviously Darlene Love still performs, but Mary Clayton's one of the ones. It's quite sad, where she's kind of going, 
that could still be me there, and I, I kind of don't know why, why I'm not doing that. Uh, Some people but, are happy with a wallflower. Exactly, exactly. But a, at times it feels a little bit polished and a bit, little bit like a VH1 behind the music or something like that. And I do think, I do think the Oscar nominations a little bit because they've got Bruce Springsteen and Sting and Mick Jagger and, you know, it's about American underdogs and things like that. I think that's where the... <clears throat> it's not a bad documentary. But it's no, a good no, documentary. Yeah. It's an enjoyable documentary. It doesn't do anything special. It doesn't change the world or anything like that, but it's a nice documentary. And if you've got any interest at all in popular music for the last 40 years, they've got some really good behind-the-scenes footage. There's a yeah. great little section where um, David Bowie, in his massively coked-up phase as well, 1974, is kind of just talking through people like Luther Vandross, who was a backing singer at the time, just talking them through some harmonies for a show and then playing some uh, an American version of uh, <coughs> Young Americans. And so there's lots of... Re- and, the, and the story about Gimme Shelter is fantastic. About that rape-murder, it's just a step away. Uh, it's just a shot away, sorry. And the fact that Mary Clayton, who did that came into the studio in her pyjamas and her hair in rollers and was seven months pregnant. And, that, and what I liked, actually, about an American documentary is the Brits were painted in a good light. It was saying what was happening in America was they wanted these nice, ordered backing singers. But the Brits came in and went, no, we want your black gospel singers to give it everything. And, uh, you know, and they're, they're really, really complimentary of people like Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, um, other big British acts at the time, saying that they gave um, backing singers a whole new level to go to. So it's a really, really enjoyable documentary, very, very heartwarming as well. Um, you want to, did you have something to add on that one? Paul? No, no. no I, would, I, would I want you to definitely recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. Well. Music, really even for the music, just listen yeah. to the music and, yeah. and realise and oh that, that's a backing singer singing that better the, the song rather than oh that's the, the actual singer that's it. and that's it, just raising that awareness yeah. going actually th- yeah those bits I sing in all these popular songs actually some of them are just backing singers yeah. uh, and I say just backing singers I feel bad for saying <laughs> that but no I really recommend that um, you went to see Run and Jump yesterday can you tell us a little yeah, bit about that um, Run and Jump um, an Irish based production um, I think it's out kind of um, some other year, at the start of the summer. Um, Steph Green directed, Maxine Peake, um, Edward McLean, Will Forte, who's Nebraska Oscar nominated film, basically tells the story of um, the Casey family where the husband, played by um, Edward McLean, who's suffered a stroke, he's been in the hospital for a number of weeks, and, and they've tried to reintroduce him to family life where there's two young siblings, a, a girl and a boy, where um, the family life are trying to adjust and then his parents are, are realising that their son's changed and then basically the, the main character you've got Maxine Peake who is, is um, Venetia um, a very Irish name mm. where she's the she's the, the woman who's trying to keep this house in order by trying to hold down the fort basically uh, keep everything ticking over while her husband who was like a carpenter join up in a guy isn't he making anything he's just making these kind of wooden balls um, basically out of wood um, and they get a in Will Forty. He, he's the he's the doctor. Which basically, it's an American doctor comes over. Um, who really specialist guy who studies psychology. Basically, brain brain doctor kind of guy who studies the family as a whole and looks at the kind of situations where they um, would just normally go about their, their business and, and everything's just kind of like oh, what's the what's the situation normally would be here and, and it kind of gets to the situation where. He's going to integrate himself into the family, but the, the father father figure, the husband's being left behind, and it seems to be as if all oh, right, he's going to take him over here, 
and there's it's a really interesting look at kind of mental health and, and how folk kind of deal with that kind of side of things. Like, you don't know if you hear about somebody so young, or there's a guy who he's, he's having a stroke and having to go back to, to, to try and actually make a living for himself and, and stuff like that. And it's it's really well acted, and I think um, Edward McLean, he does absolutely brilliant. And being someone who's suffered a stroke, when mm. obviously it's, it's hard, to, hard to imagine that. Mm. Um, and Maxine Peake is absolutely brilliant, as always. He shows with us, mm. she's an absolute cracking actress. Um, it's a really good performance. And the chemistry between them, the kids as well, and it, um, the, the, the young boys and you know, his teens, he goes through a, kind of a stage where him and his dad don't get along. And it's because of the illness and stuff like that. And, mm. um, he feels a lot of pressure on the family and he feels that obviously he's the man the man of the house now but um, the way it kind of deals with all that kind of stuff it doesn't do it in a kind of patronising way or anything like that it does it in a, in a way where you can understand what's happening um, and if you were in that situation you would feel exactly the same you know um, really kind of it was really powerful as well but I think I've seen a few reviews where people saying that it doesn't do this it doesn't do that I think there's a lot of things that say that doesn't they have a, Issues with you know, myself personally, but and family with mental health and stuff like that, and I, I think it, I know exactly what what the people have to deal with, and mm. it does it very well to get that on screen. It's it's mm. not it's not the easiest thing to do, so no, I definitely recommend. Brilliant. It. No, I've I've heard a lot of people at the kind of around the festival talking about that as one of their highlights so far. So that's really good. Uh, I'm going to finish off this section just very very quickly talking about the double, which is uh, Richard Iwadi's, uh Second feature. I've finally seen Submarine now. It took me ages to see <laughs> Submarine. Uh, but I brought it up to Glasgow with me, watched Submarine. But um, The Double, which is his second feature and stars Jesse Eisenberg, is um, based on a uh, Theodore Dostoevsky novel from the novella from uh, the mid 1850s, I think it was. And um, it basically features Jesse Eisenberg as Simon James, who is uh, an office worker who is lonely and isolated, fancies one of his colleagues, played by Mia Vosikovska, and all of a sudden finds out that a doppelganger has turned up and started working in a company called James Simon. Um, <laughs> exactly the same face, uh, and also played, obviously, by Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, this person is really you know, confident and very good with ladies, and so it's this battle that he's got to, A, convince people that this guy's a bit of a pretender, uh, but also he's trying to win over Mia Vosikovska. What was that? An absolutely incredibly incredible looking film. Um, I like it sometimes when I go to the cinema and I see a film and I go, do you know what, that feels like I've watched a director putting together a film. Because like, you go watch a film and it can wash over you. Uh, and some some good films that I've enjoyed have been like someone's just made a comedy and put it up there. But this felt like someone going uh, actually taking direction seriously, production design seriously. It reminded me of Terry Gilliam's Brazil, uh, of Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, really, really. It, it's it's set in this. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of set in this universe where the Russians won the Cold War but in the 60s and now we're in the 80s so we're 20 years after the and so people have got American accents um, and they work in an office they talk in English but it feels massively Eastern European uh, there's a load uh, there's a load of bureaucracy and like weird like photocopying machines look like they were designed by steampunk design it's <laughs> steampunk bureaucracy and it's this, um, this this wonderful kind of dark troubled uh, world and it's got um, some brilliant performances Wallace Shawn um, 
who most people know from The Princess Bride as the guy who says, inconceivable, the guy who kind of is Andre the Giant's boss in uh, The Princess Bride. Um, Don't try that again, or...? Uh, Inconceivable? No, 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 I shouldn't have tried again. Um, but yeah, Wallace Shot, who is just a wonderful performer whenever you see him. Um, and uh, even people like Chris Morris, for example. And I just suddenly, I saw Chris Morris come up on screen. Like, oh my God, Chris Morris is back. Thank God for that. Um, Excuse me like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, Chris Morris. And you know what? It's just, he, he only turns up for two minutes, but he's utterly brilliant in the section that he's in. Um, it's a very dark film, and it gets a bit confusing as well towards the end. And a bit of a head-scratcher, but you kind of forgive that because the production design is fantastic. And the sound design as well. I've not seen anyone use sound like this since possibly Barbarian Sound Studio. It's uh, uh, you know, the sound of trains as people are pour, uh, pouring water out of a tap and stuff like that. It's very funny in places. I'd really, really recommend it. And the full review where I kind of... Conduct, I, I explain myself a lot better than this. It's available at feldcritics.com, so take a look at that. But the double, that's out in April, and I'd definitely say get a look at that. You're not going to get sacked. No, I'm not going to get sacked. Okay, yeah, uh, this is us from Feldcritics. A few drinks, uh, and quite a few hours later, we're on George Square, uh, featured in the Hollywood blockbuster World War Z, uh, but currently being used by a couple over there to, uh, I believe I believe the phrase is neck. Winching. Winching. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple over there winching. There's a man over there singing sectarian songs, I think. I don't know. But uh, anyway. We're going to Glasgow people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we couldn't find a bar. So this, very, very quickly, a uh, couple of late reviews. First one, Zero Charisma, which only me and Paul were able to see because uh, it was sold out. Pricks. Yeah, Dave couldn't go and see it. Dave went and got a burger and sat in a pub <laughs> for a bit. Um, where's so, it? Where's it? I was doing a half mile from <laughs> So, Zero Charisma, um, starring, I'll be honest, people I've not heard of, directed by people I've not heard of. It's got to that stage at night now. But uh, uh, an American indie film about uh, a Dungeons & Dragons-style games master who finds his world shaken up by uh, a trendy geek who is an interloper into their group. Paul, what did you think? Um, it's, a, it's a geek's geek's. It's a geek film. Um, I would <laughs> never you say geek, that. You geek, say that with a sneer on your face, no, Paul. I would never consider myself as, as one of these guys who. Um, What's he got to be good? Would play games like that. I've never owned. Paul's a game. never owned a games uh, console. I've never owned a games console. So going into it, I was I was I was fresh, but I could feel we were sitting down the front in a, a really really cool screen, like the, the small screen. It was like it was great. Um, but I could feel myself laughing at the characters rather than laughing with with them like the rest of the cinema. But there was a good few laughs in the film. Um, the storyline was pretty good. The acting was, was was pretty bang on for you would imagine these these people to be. I don't know any of them. Mm. If there's any out there, give a shout. I'll quite happily come along and play Dungeons and Dragons for hours of my life. These guys would. That is it. something you will regret. Uh, they're playing like this game for three years, and this guy comes along and. And spoils the fun basically, but um, no, it was it was a good story, um, yeah. and and the kind of the sub subtext as well, like the, the the fact that he stayed with his gran and not his mum, and the, this guy who's obviously kind of coming towards his thirties or maybe older than that, who still stays at home and and doesn't know anything else apart from the game. He's no social intercourse or anything like that, and it's a bit strange. Doesn't drink, and then it all comes to a head. And it, I thought it was, it was 
well put together. So. Yeah, I, I think it reminded me a lot of Clerks, actually. Um, it had that really homemade, nice, geeky feel. Uh, there was conversations about Star Wars and stuff like that. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Very, very funny film. Uh, it's opening very, very selectively across... Uh, the country, I believe, Prince Charles Cinema in London has it in the next week or so. Uh, but no, I'd recommend it. And Paul, you, yeah, even though that. you're not a geek, you 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 thought it was pretty decent. No, it was, it was a funny film. You yeah. know, if, if even if you like comedy, I would say go along and see it. It was like it was kind of reminded me of Role Models, like kind of mm. style of that kind of thing where only a select amount of people enjoy it, but everybody can go along and have a laugh. Excellent. Uh, and then the surprise film wasn't The Raid Two. Um, it wasn't Snowpiercer it, but it was what kind of a lot of people thought it would be including myself and that is Calvary the new film from John Michael McDonnell uh, starring Brendan Gleeson uh, starring Chris O'Dowd and uh, Aidan Gill ok Dave what did you think of Calvary at first half it was it was a strange one for me I mean mm. it's certainly first five minutes we're giving too much away he's a the main character says you're going to die in a week get your yeah. act together and it's just the priest gone through his week, and mm. I expected a bit more. So, well, I told you've got a week to live. And, all right, there's a bit. Of, I don't believe him. This is some mm. asshole. But you'd imagine he was going to get about you know, doing something interesting. I'll, I'll go to the pub this night, and then oh, I better go and see that guy in the prison this way. And just go about his daily business. And I was expecting something a bit more. And mm. um, you certainly well. Yeah, and this is where I offer up a confession, um, and. Uh, live up to the failed critics moniker for in this style for the first time ever I, I fell asleep I missed the pivotal <laughs> five minutes at the end of the film I, I woke up for the aftermath um, of what happens at the end of the film and the credits uh, however somehow I managed to miss the most vital five minutes of the film in terms of what happened um, what I would say uh, I was enjoying it to an extent but a bit like yourself that day it, I kind of it was a bit slow no. um, it was a bit dreary as well and it's based on Ireland so I suppose to the extent you're going yeah. to expect that but I was just expecting more yeah. that, right, Brendan Gleeson was very good oh definitely um, and, and there were some nice lines uh, but I'll be honest and all I will say in my defence is if it had been the raid 2 I, I wouldn't have fallen asleep for that last five minutes. You probably uh, would. No, 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 I wouldn't. No, no, no. But, Paul, what did you think? Well, I'm kind of different. I, I expected a lot, and I, I think it kind of gave what it's supposed to do. Like, if it's a, a priest is given a week to live, and it's not given a away saying that. A priest is given a week to live, what do you expect a priest to do? You don't expect a priest to go to the strippers and go and take coke and do all these kind of things. He's you expect, which is why I'd never be a priest. Yeah. Yeah. But you expect, you, That's the, why you're falling asleep tonight. The, the priest has done <laughs> what is expected of him, and Brendan Gleeson played the part perfectly to do that. That's exactly what he was supposed to do, and he's living up to his name as a priest in the priesthood and going doing, righting his wrongs, doing his thing, and then. It, I don't, I don't see anything wrong at all. I just, I thought it was, a, it was gripping. It was funny. Um, Chris O'Dowd was good. Um, a lot of the characters, the young boy, I can't remember his name, was, was really funny. The in the film. thought it was really good. Uh, as well, and and the, the way, the way in which these these guys kind of, they kind of came together, and then kind of drifted apart. Brendan Gleeson did his thing. I don't, I can't remember one scene where he wasn't. And I, 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 to, for a man to play a part, which is, was kind of a contentious issue with kind of priesthood and and all the things that go along with that it's a hard part to play and I think he's done it well 
Okay, so yeah, just to repeat, I, I fell asleep and missed the end. <laughs> and I am the least professional of the three of us here. I'm, I'm mortified. Uh, and I will try and make it up to all of our loyal listeners the rest of this week and try doubly hard just to stay awake for some films. Um, so that's it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a lovely day. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you very much, Dave. And thank you very much, Paul. Thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Cheers. Right, yeah, so this is uh, James Diamond at Glasgow Film Festival. I am joined by the award-winning and I would say kind of Tarantino-esque auteurs of comedy, Pappies, um, and in homage to them, and just to show you how difficult, it's not as easy to write comedy as it looks on television, I've come up with some laboured puns to introduce our guests, Um, and I would therefore, in a cinematic way, like to introduce... Tom Paranormal Activity. Lovely. I'll take that. Very good. Very good. Ben Raiders of the Lost Clark. Yes. And Matthew Cross B movie. Best I've got. How do I get B movie? Or, or Matthew Cross being John Malkovich. I'll take that. Okay, there we go. Um, who are? <laughs> there are guests today. Um, what are you guys doing in Glasgow then? Well, we're not at the film festival. No. So you, you are and we're not, which seems a bit unfair, really. So really, we should be interviewing you. Okay. What's the, the film festival like? Um, no, we're, we're up here at the moment filming a second series of our BBC3 sitcom, which is called Badults. Um, and we're having a, a tremendous time. We're quite we're sort of right in the middle of episode five at the yeah. moment. So uh, it's quite uh, it's quite a sort of stressful time, which we want it to be brilliant. Uh, but, um, but we're it's not fun. talking. We're not yet. You've got us at the worst time. We've all fallen out. What, what the listeners can't hear is that this is three separate interviews that you've meticulously edited together to make it appear like we're in the same room. They, they know I can't edit, though. No, so <laughs> that's not going to fool anyone. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's we're up in Glasgow. We film it at the um, Glasgow Pacific Key Studio, um, which is a really exciting... It's like a proper TV. It feels like proper television, you know, like the 70s. So do you think anyone who watches our show will think, oh, yeah, that suits your show. feels like the 70s. Yeah. So is there any change? Obviously, first season of Bad Arts, you've got a, yeah. a second season. Any changes? Uh, anything you want to tell us about that's different? Actually, there are a few. Um, we've got a different director. Um, our, our, our previous director was, was, was unavailable, and it's actually worked out so wonderfully. We have, a, we have a brilliant guy called Gordon Anderson, who people will know from uh, The Inbetweeners and Fresh Meat and Shameless. And uh, he's been really great. He's been, you know, it's just been a, it's been a real breath of fresh air. He's been wonderful. Um, we've got a new female member of the cast, uh, Catherine Ryan, the stand-ups joined us, and she's just fantastic. Um, and so the, the, there, are, there are changes, but it is still very much the same kind of uh, We've got new zest product. for life as well. <laughs> yeah, good. I hope so, yeah. We've got, we do, I think we do. We've got a brand new bag. We've got a brand new, got a brand new bag. Um, and just we're doing small things like, uh, like, as fans of The Wire, we really like the idea of changing the theme tune. So we've got like the same theme tune, but different. So we've got, a, you know... A band who are based in Edinburgh who have redone the theme tune for us. I think we should say that if someone hasn't seen the show before and thought, oh, it's inspired by The Wire, I'll watch it. 
that is the beginning and end of our <laughs> similarities. So this series I isn't set on a dockyard or anything like that. No, no, no but I am a drunk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... you're not on screen. That's the only thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're living the life. Yeah. Um, now this is uh, we're up here for Glasgow Film Festival so it would be right, very rude of me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get a ticket go on about it I bet the Grand Budapest Hotel we can get in I just want to ask you what obviously I think certainly would say you you are um, someone who has who is influenced by pop culture um, yes are there any kind of cinematic influences that you've got anything that you would say I watched that that made me want to do comedy um, yeah, very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we watched, we watched Naked Gun was on telly the other day, oh, and we yeah. realised just how important a piece of film that was to me with yeah. comedy. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's yeah. just you know, and, and the amount of jokes they put into everything. Can you think about the first time you saw Airplane, Naked mm. Gun, any of those films, Hot Shots? And you kind of go like, yeah. they just go for the funny as Dumb much as possible. Yeah. And when you're trying to put stuff on screen, you kind of think. Oh, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, and it's, it comes from films like that. But also genre parodies. Last year we had um, we had like a sort of British crime paper parody uh, in, in one episode of Bad Elves. We had uh, a Jurassic Park uh, pastiche. This year we've written a every episode movie. Every this episode. one that, that owes a great debt of gratitude to Charlie um, uh, uh, Doki, New York. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, quite having this cheese board. We're very influenced by cheese as well. Just to say that is uh, um, our sponsors, Brewdog Glasgow, (laughs) who have just provided us with a a feast of uh, of cheese and and meats and pickles. We didn't realise there was there was free food. We've ordered more food on top of the free food. So we are going to, in homage to another filmic comedian, we are going to do a Mr. Creosote impersonation later on. (laughs) (laughs) When we eat all this food. And actually, like, the Python movie, we talked about this, because, you know, the Python movies are a big uh, kind of inspiration, because I love the TV series when I was growing up at the videos of that. What's so good about the the, um, the films is it's the same sensibility, but done as a bit of a galactic, or done as a crusade movie. It's... Still stupid jokes, mm. the same jokes you love from watching the TV show, but yeah. with real kind of big ambitions. And I think that's something we really aspire to, 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 be, to have big ambitions. We don't always pull it off, but you can definitely see you've yeah. got ambition. Mm. Well, I think in terms of like um, the way Battles works, we always try to write things that, rather than a, a plot arc over the series, which a lot of co- comedies have now on mm. television, a lot of comedies are really comedy dramas where they have a plot arc. Our, our mission's always to write short contained episodes that kind of have their own conclusion everything wraps up there um, a bit like writing an Edinburgh show really you think this is the theme of the Edinburgh show this is how it's going to work so cinema is a good reference point for our episodes in that like Matt said like one's a sports movie one's a Charlie Kaufman film one becomes a Bond film one becomes uh, is like sliding doors type thing and every time you kind of think well in this episode let's try <laughs> the big and do dogs. <laughs> the big dogs there we really sliding doors <laughs> you kind of think well let's go it's, let's it's go inspired for that. by the dice man not sliding doors <laughs> <laughs> the bloke rolls a dice to make decisions about his life is not sliding doors <laughs> it's not am I going to get short hair or long hair <laughs> I'm going to level with you I've not seen sliding doors <laughs> <laughs> it's and, uh, excellent, you uh, really should. Another version of me seeing sliding doors. <laughs> but I missed, I missed the bus. Oh, whoa. <laughs> 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 Blowing your mind, haven't I, listen? 
So um, the, the, the kind of Les Mis homage, tribute, was that because of the film or is that because you're genuine fans of the musical? I, I'm just genuinely interested. Kind of neither, really. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> you just thought it would be fun. We got obsessed with a YouTube clip, actually. It was a, it was a YouTube clip that inspired us, which was the One Day More at the Royal... Was it the Albert Hall or the Royal Opera House? I think it was the Albert Hall. And it was just like so over the top and like proper gives you goosebumps. 25th anniversary. Yeah. Version, yeah, and it was just like this incredible piece of thing. And we were like, oh, we'll have a bit of that. <laughs> and then later on we found out the film was coming out. And it was like, oh, this is quite fortuitous actually. The film's coming out, people are remembering on a lame is again. And so, yeah, and it, so we had an episode that echoed that. So it was just quite good timing. Really. But that was really inspired by a YouTube clip, wasn't it? And yeah, the other one was a YouTube clip of the... Of the it's like a cheesy wedding speech. Oh, I remember yeah. when all the people were standing up, and it was, you know, we just found this wedding speech of, of, of um, a bunch of quite good singers doing a kind of best man speech where everyone stands up in the room and sings one day more. We thought that's got a, it's a real sort of emotional resonance to someone run one day more, so we'll steal that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I hate to bring it up again now because you've not seen anything at the film festival. Oh, I feel terrible God. now. But. Yeah, yeah. What is the last film that you went to see, and what did you think of it? We had a cinema trip on Saturday. We did, room. yeah. Uh, simultaneously, me and Tom went to see 12 Years a Slave, and oh, Matthew right. went to see the Lego movie. Hey! Um, I'm with Matthew here, actually. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd already seen 12 Years a Slave. Okay. Okay. To his credit, he was one step ahead of us, yeah. <laughs> By the way, this, this spicy cheese is insane. No, no use to the listener, but... Yeah. <laughs> I recommend it. It's, just, it's, it's as good as the Lego movie. I, I really enjoyed the Lego movie. Yeah. I. It was a bit weird going to see it on my own on a Saturday night, but um, <laughs> but it's, it is a film that you don't. It's not a kiddie film. Yeah. It's full of really good jokes. I love Cardi with Trucks and Meatballs. Mm. You know. I, I remember seeing. I mean, I went to see that with my wife. We didn't. You know. We don't have kids. We just go to see kids' movies together. But it was. Um, it was great, and I like the fact that if you were a little kid. Really, mm. of course, you enjoy it. It's a kind yeah. of classic adventure story. But yeah. the cinema was basically full of adults, mm. so I saw it at 9 o'clock yeah. in Glasgow. Really, really good. I always love that about kids' films that have, you know, like have good writing where you grow up and you kind of like you watch it again yeah. and you're like, oh, that's what yeah. that meant. <laughs> well, now I get those jokes. We're a bit obsessed with the Oscars. Um, yeah. And we kind of set it as a mission that every year by the time the Oscars come around, we've seen all the Oscar films, which was fine until two years ago when they expanded it to ten. <laughs> so now the be- best picture category is ten films, and that's a real chore ten, when you've got things right? going on. Yeah. I saw so, Dallas um, Buyers Club. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to chase down all those films. I've got moment. Nebraska, I've got a screener of Nebraska sitting at my bedside table, which I haven't watched yet, which I really want to see. Yeah, and then we've got like, um, we did Wolf of Wall Street together, okay. which was. Uh, oh, it was great. It, that would absolutely inspire an episode of Battles. I can't wait to, uh, <laughs> yeah. can't wait to do that one. Let me go for that. So do you stay up and watch the Oscars then? Do you try and stay up? We're used to it, yeah. And, well, it's tough filming battles because we're in rehearsals the next day, so it kind of prevents us doing. So we used to do all nighters where we play drinking games and, um, and like we, you know, make it a real event. We all get into tuxedos. Clarky falls asleep at two o'clock. Yeah, we kind of make <laughs> a real, tra- it, make a real <laughs> tradition of it. It's always very important who's hosting and all that. But uh, the last two years, because we've been in Glasgow working, mm. kind of as uh, yeah. proper jobs has taken the edge off the Oscar ceremony. That's a shame, that's a shame. But you definitely recommend Lego Movie. What did you think of 12 Years a Slave then? Mm, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really terrific. I gave it 12 stars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Out one, of? One year for every year. <laughs> 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 
Um, well, Tom said a funny thing on Twitter. It just made me laugh out. Producer, ba- producer Brad Pitt, Bagsy Foggy, the only good white guy. <laughs> well, there's only one good white guy part in it. Yeah. Who's like played by a Canadian, and he's supposed to be Canadian, and then all the American baddies are played by British people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're really farming out the bad. <laughs> the Americans don't actually do a bad thing in that film. <laughs> That's the incredible thing about that film. So, um, the one good guy is played by an American, all the baddies are British, pretending to be American. Yeah. Which is probably what they'll think is what slavery was. Yeah. All those bad British guys pretending to be us. Um, it's an excellent film. It's, yeah. a, it's a tough watch, but it's an excellent film. Did you see the first 11? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like Ocean's 12. Yeah. Ocean's 12 years of slavery. <laughs> You know what that's? Well, Brad Pitt's next list. It'll be George Clooney showing up, Prince of Slaves. <laughs> <laughs> that David gets involved. John Cheadle, what's your accent? <laughs> 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 is, is there anything you're looking forward to in the rest of the year, then, in terms of films? Anything? Her. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That'll, be, um, that'll be really good. Um, Looking forward to the new Terry Gilliam movie that you're going to see because you're at the film festival and we're not. Thank you um, for that. <laughs> no, we, we talked about Wes Anderson with the, the mm. Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. He's, yeah. he's been a big inspiration for us because he puts together such incredible characters and mm. what, what, what kind of the inspiration from his films are like, he sets such clear parameters for his movie. He has this kind of like doll's house effect visually. But like I think that's kind of what you want to do when we try to put a show together is if you can work out the parameters of your show mm. and have as much fun within those parameters, yeah. and that's what he does with all of his movies. He makes them very small so that he can make them big, you know, in a weird way. You yeah. know, he creates his own world to then yeah. operate within. So and that's kind of set Also, as well, like Rushmore. I remember seeing Rushmore when I was however old I must have been, nineteen or twenty, whenever it came out, and thinking. Like those when he does those the, the recreations of um, like Serpico and um, Platoon and stuff like that, I, I absolutely love it. And actually, what we've done in this most recent series of Fadals is we've done a thing where Tom Skaters play uh, about our life, which is again like the Sudoku uh, New York. But the final scene is very Rushmore, the real kind of yeah. you know painted yeah. sets that look just like the real sets. Um, and uh, it's, it's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what else I'm really looking forward to. Just because I don't know what it's going to be like. It's Darren Ar- Aronofsky's uh, Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah. Um, with Ray Winston. With Ray Winston, yeah. as somebody who isn't featured in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And um, what, Russell, Russell Crowe as Noah. I mean... Hermione's there. I'm looking forward it's going to, be to that a, in a way <laughs> where I will read the reviews for it, but probably not much film. No. I am still yeah. looking forward to it being. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going through that. I'm not sure I can sit through that. I'm really not Come sure on. I can sit through it. You know the story. It's a good story. <laughs> you, you and Harry can go and see it. I'll go you see loved, the Lego um, movie. You loved uh, Evan Almighty. No, I did not. You did. You told me you loved no, Evan I've never seen that film. Uh, I'd just like to point out to our listeners that that kind of, that's the most in-depth film analysis. That that kind of treatise on Wes Anderson is the best thing that our listeners have ever listened to. So thank you very much. Because we we are we're chances. 
Um, Can we get a ticket to the film festival, please? I'll, I'll find you a ticket. Yeah, I'll find you a ticket. Um, and then finally, uh, just thinking about podcasts, because obviously you've got the uh, the very, very successful um, Flatshare Slamdown, um, which I have featured on at some point in my distant past. Um, you sold a beef. Uh, you, you sold, uh, the Beef Brothers sold one of my beef about my, my wife. Uh, being too good and too bad, and that's what annoyed me. Yes, I remember that. And yeah. and as uh, as I was, yeah, as I was saying, she's currently seven months pregnant, and with our three and a half year old daughter in a flat down the road somewhere. As I'm in the pub talking to you, so she's still not wised up. Um, so you've got flash and uh, Pappy's bangs and mash as well. Um, what is it about the podcast that has? Um, yeah, you seem to be big fans of the podcast. What is it about the podcast that is different from other forms of uh, It's funny you forms. say we seem to be big fans of it. Mm. The reason we started, this is genuinely true, the reason we started doing podcasting was literally because we felt like we kind of exhausted the avenues open to us. You know, we were performing sketch comedy at the Edinburgh Festival. We kind of hit a sort of glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. We got as far as we could um, in terms of the audiences that we were attracting. Uh, we pitched shows to television, shows to radio. Lot was getting turned down. So we thought, well, we also want to keep creating something. Let's start creating that. And um, we did. And as a result, all of the other areas seemed to kind of, sort of get resurgence. Really enriched. We, we wrote more comedy together because we were writing for Puppies, Baggers and Mash, we were writing for Flat Slam, we wrote more sketches, so we had our live shows got better, um, more people started showing up because they knew us, you know, we get people who only had ever heard podcasts, never mm. seen us live, just didn't, you know, so we get more people coming to our, our live shows, um, commissioners were starting to pay attention to us because they would be able to, you know, it's hard to, it's often hard to get commissioners to come out to see shows because there's so many shows happening and everyone's... So, but they can easily listen to something mm-hmm. in their office. So that's half an hour of kind of what we do. What I like so suddenly things started yeah. taking off for us. And it was never the intention. It was just, we love making stuff together. Mm-hmm. And if people won't pay us to do it, we'll do it for free. <laughs> that's what I like about podcasting. Is I think it's, it's the closest thing. I think that's why comedians like podcasting so much. Is because if you want to be a comedian, you don't wait for somebody to come along and train you. Like, if you want to be an actor, you go to drama school and you have to go to auditions. You just start doing comedy. You go to a comedy night and put yourself on and do open mind nights. You are a comedian. And you don't have to wait for anybody to tell you you are a comedian. You have to just start doing it. And the same way with podcasting. It's like, if you want to be a broadcaster, if you want to make something, you can just make it. I mean, look at look at, look at you, James. You're absolutely <laughs> you've got your phone, you've got your phone, two laptops, you're sat Behind in the corner the of a pub, passing yourself off as a podcaster. It's because, it's because you want to do it. You, know, you don't need anybody to come along and say, you, you're now a Qualified bugger. It's very DIY. Because they clearly wouldn't. Well, look at it. Of course they wouldn't let you go home to your pregnant wife. It's a very qualified podcast. is a contradiction in terms. Anyway, exactly. If you were qualified, you wouldn't be podcasting. And it's the same with comedy. You know, it's like if you want to do it, you do it. If you're a podcast, you can podcast. Bang, it's out there on the internet. It's a real thing. And it's like you don't have to wait for. And like with radio commissioners and things, they never. They'd say, "Oh, you don't work off stage. You're not. You, you, you're a visual kind of sketch group." And you can just start making a podcast and say, look, this is how we can do it. This is what we want to do. And you're doing it. And I think that's close to the ethos of comedy. And, and it's the same. It kind of the same goes the other way with the, the listeners. And that, you know, when you're listening to the radio or you're watching television, you feel like you're watching something that someone else has chose for you to watch. Mm. It's not it's not fully your decision. Mm. Although, you know, you've got the different channels. And with podcasting, it feels much more personal. I think you get a much closer kind of personal relationship with your listeners because it's normally just a one-on-one situation they're listening to you 
the podcasts are able to be very conversational in a way that you're not on other mediums mm. as much. It's, it's, so it feels like you really have a dialogue with your listeners. You're right, it's intensely personal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I woke up this morning and had a message on Twitter that just said, you are an absolute legend. And it was from, <laughs> it was from a guy in Pennsylvania, right? And I was like, I had a quick look and I was like, who is this guy? I don't know why. Why is he sending that? And it made me smile. And then later on, he posted another thing saying, "At work, listening to Flat Slam, keep laughing." And I just kind of thought, "That's amazing." That there's a guy in Pennsylvania sat at his desk chuckling to something we did, you know, eight months ago in a London pub, and he sent this message. I think. That's what you like about podcasts is you never know where it's going to end up because once it's out there, it's out there and, it, and anybody can access it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really incredible thing. And that, that, the sense of discovery is so important to things on the internet, I think. We, we, we have endless frustrating conversations where people say, let's make a viral video. <laughs> you know, and you go, well, a video, you can't make a viral video. A video has to go viral. But anyway, let's not get bogged down in semantics. <laughs> yes. You know, once, once a clip... Once a clip has, you know, a Channel 4 logo in front of it or a BBC logo in front of it, immediately that sense of discovery disappears. And I think, um, I think you don't, you don't have that podcasting because it's so much, so much of it is independence. So much of the people, you know, literally like this, taking on laptops or on phones and, and then just sending it out across the world. So people really feel like an ownership around it because they don't necessarily with, um, you know, a television, like a panel show on television. Um, it's great. It's really awesome. Um, and also, we don't have any of the restrictions. If we think of a funny idea, what I love about live comedy is we think of a funny sketch, that night we can build say performing it. For better or for worse. But for worse or for worse. For worse or for worse. But I also love that about podcasting. We don't have to go through. We're lucky to have two really, really fantastic producers, Colin Anderson and Ben Walker, who both really know their stuff and are, and are wonderful and really supportive. But basically, if we say we'd like to do this, they go, yeah, all right, let's so try and make it work rather than have to go through committee. Um, so there's a kind of purity to it. What it means is some of it really doesn't work people like that as well they like the rough edges of it and um, that's what people like about seeing live comedy it's, a really, it's like the closest thing to live I think it's a bit jingy, it's right, yeah. the closest thing to live but telly can't capture is that sort of energy of this isn't going great how are they going to pull it turn it around yeah. how are they going to make it work I love that I love that aspect. Yeah. and of course having heard uh, your podcasts um, guests generally can't be drunk uh, on TV episodes, but uh, <laughs> well, I <think> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that in itself, that makes a guest. Also, the, the drunkest, really, yeah. the drunkest host is also the man I've seen on, on drunk on television more than any other. The drunkest guest was mm. Rufus Hound. Yes, and I could find an infamous find, episode. I could find, <laughs> find a clip of Rufus Hound on television where he wasn't hammered out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he's tiny man. He's wonderful, brilliant mind. But, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and on that piece of hello esque kind of gossip <laughs> trading, uh, I'd just like to say thank you very much to uh, Matthew, Tom, and Ben for joining me tonight. Um, you're, when will people be able to see uh, Badalt Series Two on BBC Three? Hopefully, summer 2014. Summer 2014, and are tickets still available if they hear this and want to apply? Where can they apply for tickets for the filming? Oh yeah, if you. If you Find us on Twitter. Yes. We'll, we'll get you okay, and we'll, we'll tweet that link. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Chad. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, so welcome back, and for a bit of fun, because um, last time we did this, uh, Mr. McFarlane over there accused me of cheating. You did cheat? I don't know what you did, but you cheated. I beat him. Uh, I think ah, he's, he he's, the three of those letters were correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very drunk. I know you cheated, I just don't know why you cheated or how you cheated. Uh, yeah. But damn um, it, you cheated. Now, we were going to settle this with a gentlemanly game of magnetic fishing, but I'm not sure that's quite up for a podcast. I'm not quite sure how we'd kind of... Uh, yeah, exactly. So instead, we are going for a straight-out penalty shootout style, five five film questions. Very quick. I'm going to go to you, Dave, first. Okay. Which film character sang about the bare necessities? What's this? Ah, fuck off. What Blue. Blue, correct. There we go. Okay. What was the name of the great mouse detective? Was it still me? Yeah, it's still you. We're, going, we're doing your five in one go. Oh, right, okay. The great mouse detective? Yes. Danger Mouse? It was Basil. It was Danger Mouse! <laughs> Which movie required Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane to dress as women? Oh, none to that one. Correct. That's opening TV in years, by the way. I was thinking about that last week. It's a great film. I know. Yeah. Which of Hook's hands had five fingers in the Disney's Peter Pan? The one that didn't have the hook. Next question. You're not getting out of it that easy. Come on, you got a 50 50 chance. Left. It was the right. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember. And, and who played Big Boned Rosemary in Shallow Hal? Oh, what's her name? Oh, of course you know. Of course he knows it, yeah. What a falter. Mm. Dave, very respectable three out of five there. I'll have to get one, no, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Dave's got three. Oh, no. Okay, over to you then, Paul. Which movie star Parminder Nagra as a female footballer? Ben Beckham. Correct. Which, is it easy? Which film hears Anthony Perkins say, Mother's not quite herself today? No, it's Psycho. Which animated movie informed the mice of the world that there are no cats in America? And I can sing that bit for you. It kind of goes, There are no cats in America. I'm just bothered to be singing. I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer. <laughs> it's an American tale. Yeah. I need to get these next two, right? Which decade provided the setting for American graffiti? Uh, oh, that's fucking annoying me. 60s. Correct. And which kind of very large and clumsy animals dress in pink for a ballet routine in Fantasia? Fuck's sake. Oh, we have to get you young. Uh, <laughs> it's from the 30s. We're all too young. <laughs> again. Which kind of very large and clumsy animals dress in pink for a ballet routine in Fantasia? Elephants. It's hippos! Oh. Yes! <laughs> Dave stays in the lead. Who wants to ask them? There you go, Paul. Who fell in love with Aladdin in the Disney film? Princess Jasmine. Yes. What kind of feature was Freddy in the film? Freddy as F-O-R-7. F-R-O-7. F-R-O-7. A frog. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what was the second Michael Keaton Batman film called? Batman Returns. Yes. Which bodily growth shares its name with a boy who eventually became King Arthur in the Sword and the Stone? 
Jesus. Uh, Boyle. That was Watt. Watt! <gasps> and to win, this movie introduced Beyonce Knowles as a sidekick to a dentally challenged spy. It's one of the Austin Powers ones. Ah, what one is it? <laughs> I'm going to say Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. No, there's gold medals. Oh, it! Sudden death. Sudden death, okay, right. we'll go one at a time then. Yeah, Paul's taking over. Oh, first time I'm all right. They fucking pressure. Which 1992 movie was subtitled The New Batch? Oh, no. Damn it. 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 <laughs> Dave, which Rocky film's original ending had Rocky dying after his final triumph in the ring? Uh, two. Rocky five. You was in the ring in that. <laughs> James to win again. Fuck off. Which top grossing film is about siblings Jake and Elwood? The Blues Brothers. Yes! It definitely Shirt over head, <laughs> running to the corner flag. <laughs> Do you know what? If I'd lost that, though, it would have said a huge amount about my ability to run this podcast. <laughs> to be fair, you can't shoot one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well but Very finely, then, just because we like to do a little bit of politics on the. Uh, we don't, but we are. Because I'm, well, I'm up in Glasgow, and obviously this is the year where the people of Scotland get to decide their own fate, and who could begrudge them that, but will they vote yes or no? But it, more interesting for me, not just the fact that this might be an international film festival next year, which gives it a certain cachet, but who's going to make the film of it? What's it going to look like? So when they eventually make the film of this period in time of Scotland... Um, I'm going to go to you first, Paul. Who are you casting in your Independence Day film? Right. Um, well, for me, I, I thought the four, four main, there's going to be four yeah. main characters in it. There's going to be Sa- Alex Salmon, there's going to be David Cameron, yeah. there's going to be George Osborne, who's his wee sidekick, yeah. and then there's going to be Nicholas Sturgeon as well. Okay, yeah. So, um, for Alex Salmon, I think there was, there was a choice of two for me, but... Um, if nobody else says it, I'll say the second one at the end, but go for Paul Kiernan um, of Still Game, True and the Fat Fame. Mainly because he's got a big chin, same as Alex Salmon, but um, I think he's, he's, if you put a, put a bit of kind of dark hair on him, um, make him a wee bit rounder, he, he, he would do a good job as, as Salmon to be a Coming across is I fear you've put more thought into this than I have. Yeah. I'm panicking. As much as I So he would he would be salmon, and uh, I think there's only one logical choice um, for for Nicholas Sturgeon and Salmon's deputy, Elaine uh, T. Smith. I think that that, that, that that's anybody. I think you would be the first person that popped out of your head. That's who it would be. Player. Obviously, Rab Shinde is better amongst other things. Um, very good actress. Um, and I think that, not so much as more comedy rather than anything else, but I think she would maybe give a wee bit of late relief in the film. Um, and then it's going on David, David Cameron and, and George Osborne. I think for me, the only person that just now round about that could play David Cameron would be Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, English, very pompous. In every film yeah, ever uh-huh. at the moment, yeah. And um, who could easily become so unlikable that Scottish people would just throw eggs at the cinema yeah. screen, you know, um, could turn his hand to anything, and I think for, for him, to be David Cameron would be a walk in the park, 
Um, and this one a wee bit left field maybe for, for George Osborne, just simply because I think he kind of looks like him. Um, Brendan Fraser. Mm. Um, I think, I know he's American, but I think... Um, I, get, I get the looks, kinda, yeah. You kind of push his hair back a wee bit and you, you make him kind of smile awkwardly rather than uh, like getting a good-looking kind of way and then he, he could easily do kind of George Osborne's weird persona. Um, so that would be the four main people. And I think because um, it's a Scottish film, Ken Loach has to direct it. Excellent. And how does it end? It's a draw. It ends... <laughs> Simply because who's playing who ends in independence. Because I'd rather Ford Kiernan be my Prime Minister than Cumberbatch. Yes, OK. Over to you then, Dave. Well, He's putting a lot of work yeah, there. Yeah, Paul's putting a lot of thought here, <laughs> and I've found precisely none. So, I'm, I'll use similar. Alex Salmon, we need somebody who's fat, yeah. a bit of an idiot, or at least can play an idiot. So for me, that's Robbie Coltrane. Nice. I've got the logic, just he's fat, he's yeah. play an idiot. And he's um, Scottish. And he's Scottish. Well, there's that, aye. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a minor fucking bonus. <laughs> um, and I call a sturgeon, um, put out the crankies. <laughs> Just because she's small too. Yeah. Um, but George Ronda, I think you need somebody who's a bit of a bumbling fool, you know, maybe not quite all there. So I'll get more in accent, but no. I'm Mr. Bean. Can only be Mr. Bean. Okay, so he's actually Mr. Bean. Ah, he's yeah. basically as Mr. Bean. Yeah. And I can't thank anybody else, but just Alistair Darwin. I'm sure if you'll be involved somewhere, so brains with Thunderbirds. Nice. Okay, and how does that end? And the actual puppeteer, the actual moving them. Nice. You okay. can see the puppeteer. So have you got, have you got the, the ghost of Jerry Anderson directing this yes. film? Yes. Excellent. Very right, much so. Yeah. Uh, and how does that end for you? Score draw. Score draw, okay. Uh, I, I've gone from the point of view where... Uh, the, I, I think I think the Scots will all go for independence. I don't necessarily think they will, but I think it's more fun to think of it in filming terms. So I've decided that in ten years' time, um, like a happy Mel Gibson is going to return to Scotland to tell about your second greatest victory over the English. So uh, Alex Hammond's going to be played by Mel Gibson um, in a Dude, heroic, Sam had a lot of yeah, heroic. Sam doesn't deserve that kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and because it's being told from the victor's point of view, I think Jennifer Lawrence is going to play Nicholas Sturgeon. Jesus this is, this is re- <laughs> this is I really very much disappoint that woman. <laughs> right. It's a very, very sexy kind of like, yeah, we beat the... Uh, so f- from the English point of view, I, I, I've got um, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie as basically uh, their Jeeves and Worcester style persona <laughs> to play David Cameron and uh, George Osborne. And also David Bowie appearing as himself as Kate Moss delir- <laughs> delivering David Bowie's um, stay with us message at the Brit Awards. So David Bowie with a wig on doing it. it yeah. Um, yeah. Directed by Mel Gibson, obviously. And, oh. and, and the end result is that not only does Scotland uh, secede from the Union, they also take over the nuclear submarines and nuke London. Um, so it's oh, good. I think we can all get involved with that. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Excellent. I was going to say, none of you mentioned them. I think logically, if, if a film was to be made of Scottish independence ten years down the line, the only person that could play Alex Salmond would be Alex Norton. That, Who's Alex Norton? You don't know what? Alex Norton. I just don't know the name. Slap his balls. Right, I can't read. <laughs> Alex Norton. I don't know who Alex Norton is. I'll show you a picture of him. Okay. What what is yeah, yeah, I probably will. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's yeah. Basically, this translates well to podcast. Okay, yeah, yeah, obviously. I have just seen a picture of a man that looks like Alex. No, basically, Alex Norton is Scottish. He's been all sorts. He's in Braveheart. I didn't know that actually. Oh no. So 
Um, he, he, he looks like Alex Salmon, so if you, if you, you know who he is, if you don't go Google him, you'll see I, I, he should play Alex Salmon. Like, you'll recognise that straight away. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Again, it's been a pleasure to spend the day with you. I've just got time to tell you then that I have just finished watching The Zero Theorem, the new film from Terry Gilliam, about an hour ago. Uh, it stars Christoph Waltz. It is a futuristic, dystopian mindfuck, essentially. Uh, Terry Gilliam sees it as the third in his trilogy of dystopian sci-fi films after Brazil and 12 Monkeys. Um, it's fantastical. It's wonderful to look at. And to be honest, I still don't really know what it was about or what actually happened. However, great performances... Uh, not only from the star Christoph Waltz, but um, people like David Thewlis, and some really fun cameos from people like Tilda Swinton and Matt Damon as well. It's um, I can't wholeheartedly recommend it in a sense, and I need to let it sink in uh, and percolate. But what I will say is, I'm glad that this film has been made. That Terry Gilliam's still getting to make films, and it's certainly something I'd recommend you at least taking a look at when it becomes available. And that's actually pretty much it for this week's podcast and my very enjoyable sojourn in Glasgow. Uh, if I was to recommend one film from this week, it would be Richard Iowardi's The Double, um, closely followed by 20 Feet from Stardom, I think. Um, but check out uh, failcritics.com for reviews of all the films that we've seen. Plus, you'll also be able to see Mike Shawcross's report on Frightfest, which is starting right now in Glasgow. So he's there. He's going to report back on that for us as well. I'm also involved in uh, another selection of podcasts at the moment as well. And yeah, sod it. Stephen uh, Owen aren't here to stop me. So I'm just going to plug those very quickly. You go to Diamond and Human, one word, diamondandhuman.com. Uh, we've already got the first episode of Let the Music Play on there, which is a, a music-based podcast with proper licensing and everything. Uh, and shortly, uh, a new film podcast called The Pitch. Uh, just very, very, very quickly like to thank our guests for uh, turning up this week. So that's uh, Dave McFarlane of BornOffside.net, Paul Fisher of TheRightClub.co.uk, and very, very, very huge thanks to uh, the, the wonderful, the friendly, and the very, very funny Pappies. Um, you can check out their website at pappiescomedy.com. You can also download their podcasts, uh, Flatshare Slamdown and Bangers and Mash, from links on their website. And finally, thank you very much to Brewdog Bar Glasgow for providing us with wonderful hospitality, some food, some drink, uh, and a lovely kind of pit stop for us to come away from the festival and talk about films. Thank you very much. We'll be back to normal next week with our Oscar special. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics.